Yo, what's good, everyone? Can y'all hear us? Does everything sound proper? How is everybody doing? It's 2021, and we are here with Mr. Nunzio helping us start the year off right. This is Bridge the Gap. This is the show where we're trying to bridge that gap of knowledge and share all sorts of interesting stories and history with y'all from people who just know stuff like Mr. Nunzio. And this is actually a part two. So we actually went through the whole first beginning of his story. And it was so in deep, so deep, I should say, that after three hours, we still have so much more to talk about. And I'm not saying it was a boring. It was a litty three hours. We had so much fun covering stuff like, you know, like what hip hop was like. Back in the day, back in like, you know, New York growing up for him, what it was like to actually be a part of uh, daddy's house with the that's the bad boy studios records and to um, kind of go through the experience of being part of that in the beginning, what it was like to be dubbing and block parties as Lamef is telling us in our chat over here. That's that's fresh, too. I forgot about the dubbing lesson. Although, uh, for me, it looks like Nunzio is frozen. I don't know if that is what anyone else is seeing. Um, you still with us? Yeah, you hear me? I hear you. You, uh, you hear you, but you do look frozen. Uh, oh, there you go. You're back with us. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, basically, we were running through the story. We were listening to all the good stuff with Nunzio. And then we got to a point where we just ran out of time. And there's still so much left to go. I mean, a main focus of today, which I'm really excited, is going to be the history uh, end of the week because that's approximately where we got into the story. So all of that is in the first chunk. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, it'll be It's available on the Twitches and all that good stuff. And um, in the meantime, I think we can kind of get into this episode a little bit. So firstly, how are you? Did you have a good New Year's? Was it a fun time? Oh, yeah. I was on the EO Zoom to bring it in mm. which was great just a bunch of friends we were rhyming right before it and they pretty much kept the party going on i had to bow out a little early because i actually worked on new year's day and mm. i was a tad bit tired by the time after all that drinking you know it happens it is <laughs> what it is yeah it was so, great <laughs> i'm really glad i'm glad that you had a good time um, it was a weird time, but it was good. I like the way that the internet enabled it. I saw like somebody going, imagine this was like a hundred years ago, how kind of boring it would all be. But now is a good time. So we're kind of blessed in a sense. Um, so you said before that you had, because before we get into like back into your story with the whole end of the week, you did have a couple of more, you know, bad boy stories you wanted yeah. to share with the people. So I feel like that would be a great place to start. Okay. So. Uh, the first one I want to do is the Godzilla soundtrack one, right? You Well, like the Cashmere song? Uh, no, 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 no. The uh, Was it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's the, exactly. the, the, yes, it's the it fucking Led Zeppelin track. Yes. Now, yeah. who's the drummer for Led Zeppelin? I don't remember. I know I'm supposed <laughs> to know it. I don't know it. <laughs> I know. Jimmy Page. There you right? go. Thank you. Jimmy Page. Yo, met him in the studio during the filming uh, when they were making the song. So I just want to tell you how crazy it was to do that song. Now, I, I actually opted out on it. They asked me to assist on it. I was like, nah, I'd rather engineer other stuff, like play Jimmy Lee to be the assistant. And he was stuck on it for like a month and a half. 
like almost every day going in there. And I remember one day bumping into him and being like, yo, how's that going? He's like, how's it going? And he shows me a deck, right? And it has a list of all the versions on it. And yo, it literally, it was on like 200, mix 218 version three dash a like like uh and then it would have like a little thing in parentheses like bell in the middle of a song down lower so like yo they literally went through a massive amount this is like the michael jackson thing because michael jackson would do like 120 tracks just on the music but on one track would be the triangle that only comes in once 10 seconds into the song, but you got to mix that by itself and make sure it's right and mixed right into the song. So I see where Puff was going with it, but I was so glad I opted out because it was crazy. But you know, when Jimmy Page came in, it was to redo the drums on the song and he was going to play it live. So I'm like, oh, I got to, I got to see this. You know what I mean? Like, so I go into the room and they're like, could you help us set everything up? I'm like, oh, bet. And yo, don't lie, dude. They put the drum set all the way to the back of the studio. This is just like a, a great trick, you know what I mean, for anybody that's recording live drums. So he puts the kick down, right? And they build like a box over the kick. And then it goes straight out all the way to the front of the studio. And they draped it like with um, the packing um, blankets. So they created this whole contraption and then they put a microphone like every, I'm gonna say three feet all the way to the end. So that the, when he's doing the kick, you would have the hard kick in the front, but then it'd be a little softer in the middle, real soft at the very end. You know what I mean? But now you had different versions of the kick that you can mix together to create mood. So you know how you would, uh, a person would hit the kick and then just tap it lightly so it's a little bit lighter. Instead of having to do that, you could just go to the third microphone down the line and be like, that's the soft kick of the version of the kick. You know what I'm saying? You know, I was amazed by it when I saw it and I was like, yo, these dudes are geniuses. Like, <laughs> and that's really, I think that's some old school like way to go about it, you know what I'm saying? But just to learn that trick alone, I was like, this is great. And, mm -hmm. and um, so I just wanted to mention that one and the extensiveness of making a song like that. Like Puff put a lot into it, you know what I mean? He was actually on tour at the time and Sony gave him their private jet and he would literally go on this tour, perform, fly back to the studio just to listen to whatever version it was or if anything got added, give his little feedback, go hang out, get back on the plane, go to wherever the next stop was, get ready to perform again. So, Yo, that is a crazy ethic. Yo, it makes sense that Puff is doing as well as he's doing today. Hearing like that kind of level of dedication to that track and whatnot, especially because it's a big opportunity to be in the Godzilla. But yo, thanks for starting this off with that heavy knowledge nugget. The one thing I know about bands is that drums is the most expensive thing in the world. And it's what really adds all the cost to recording. So just sharing that is such a cool fucking tidbit to start us off. So thank you for that, man. I appreciate it a lot. Um, 
You still got that? So it froze up again. Yeah, we good. It's back. I'm oh, cool. gonna just use my hotspot now because the internet is getting crazy over there. No worries. Uh, we we got you. Um, so yeah. Uh, what, what's the other stories that you wanted to share about Bad Boy? I think. Okay. You so, all right. So you want to hear Locks and New Edition or DMX? Both, but whichever. Let's start with Locks. Right, I'm like, just saying, one first. I'm gonna tell both. <laughs> uh, I li- so I'm the kind of guy that likes to save the best for last, and DM- DMX is like. I'm a I'm a 12 year old white boy when he pops so like this Good. shit is all right cool jam. so we'll start with we'll start locks, with locks. so new edition is coming in to do their song uh, Puff is uh, had just gotten I think three songs the to do on their new album and it was like the reunion one so Johnny Gill and Ralph Tresvant were both on it and uh, they uh, the locks come in and they're dumb excited yo. And um, they sit me down and they're like, listen, you're going to record their rhymes on the rhyming piece of this song on the new edition joint. So I'm like, oh, snap, like y'all are rhyming on the new edition shit. They was like, they was dumb hyped. So it, it's um, Styles and Jadakiss in there and they're doing one of their back and forth type rhyme joints, writing it together. So I remember like them being, first of all, stupid excited. And then it's like they started it off with L.O. expertise, please. You ain't got no rhymes like these. And it's like, yo, it was hot. I was like, oh, snap, this is going to be dope. So I go and I record them doing it. Then it's like maybe a half hour after we record it, we cycling the thing, man. Like, just keep listening to it. They excited. And then New Edition shows up. So they walk in the room, introduce themselves to everybody. I'm like, oh, that's what's up. Then um, one of them turns to 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 Jada and um, Styles and is like, "Yo, could you write down the rhymes for us?" And he was like, "What?" He was like, "Yo," and I was like, "Then I realized, like, oh snap, I don't think this song is meant for them to rhyme on it. It's probably you've been writing for them to actually spit the rhymes." And I was like, "Oh snap." So I'm like, nah, 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 they don't write it down. I was like, that's my job. You know what I mean? Like, cause I didn't want to add insult to injury. I was like, yo, I, I got it. I'll write it out for y'all, etc." Puff walks in, he's like, yo, that LOX expertise, you got to change that to NE expertise, like for new edition. You know what I mean? And it was like, okay, bet. And um, it's like, they was hurt, dude. Like. We did the whole session. They came in. They they respit everything, and then left. And then a lot. The, these two dudes are sitting in the chairs, like, "Yo, ain't nobody gonna believe that we wrote this shit." You know what I mean? And and got it on the album and blah say blah. And then I'm looking at. It, I'm like, "Yo, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put it on a CD for you. Like I'm gonna burn it with your vocals on it, so that people know that you wrote that shit." And I'll give you a cassette too, but like, don't tell nobody, bro. Like, but I'm gonna look you out. Yo, they was dumb happy. Like, yo, thank you. Like, yeah, now niggas in the hood ain't gonna be like, I ain't write this shit. They gonna know. I was like, word, like I got you. You know what I mean? But I always found that one interesting because on the back end, they got like 15 grand for writing it. You know what I'm saying? As a check. So I was like, hmm, 
that's not bad, dude. Like, I'm with that. I'll write a 16 for anybody for 15 grand. <laughs> <laughs> like, what you want, 10 different versions? I got you, son. Like, <laughs> got you. You know what I mean? So I, I always like that one. That's now we get, to, we get to DMX. So just so you know, DMX, great artist, but I wasn't a fan at the very beginning. You know what I mean? So they're doing 24 Hours to Live. This okay. is the Black Rob, Black Rob song. You know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. on it. Mace, the locks. It, it's a freaking incredible song. DMX is the one that ends it off. So they're all in the room with me cycling the beat. You know what I mean? And they're writing to it. Another engineer comes in to record everybody. So we in the room, and this is a long process because there's so many people on it. But I remember them finishing it, and Puff walks in. So Puff is like, yo, let me hear the song. Boom, we start playing it, and I love that song. So everybody's verses going, boom, I'm bopping my head all hard, and then it gets to DMX's part. I didn't like DMX's part. I always was like, yo, he seemed a little mad, angry, like a little overly aggressive, you know what I'm saying? And, and I wasn't digging it. But it comes up and I stop bopping my head like, okay, like, you know, it's all good. I'm not bopping as hard as I was, but I'm like, yeah, the beat is hot. So we go through it. The song ends and Puff is looking at me the whole time. It stops. And then he goes, looks around the room. And he goes, Rashid. I was like, yeah. He was like, what do you think of that last verse? <laughs> like, oh, like you're an asshole like yeah i don't like it but i'm gonna be honest with him he knows how i do so i was like yeah i didn't really like it and he was like yo i need you to write that over and then he walks out the room so now you know everybody in the room is like yo none what the fuck dude like blah 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 and yo give it to dmx this is why i always will have love for him he's like yo stop everybody stop i'll just write it over it's okay. Like, I got it. And he started writing another one. And that's the one that made it to the record. But I always looked at it as like a turning point because that's when he was unsigned at that time. So they're trying to convince Puff that, yo, you should sign this dude. Like, he's the one out of all of us. Rough Riders, this is the one. You know what I mean? And Puff, like myself, wasn't really digging the whole, uh you know, being aggressive and shit on, on tracks. So me agreeing with him, I think saved him from even thinking of signing him. At that point, I think that shit got dropped to the wayside. So I always said, like, if I wouldn't have said that, maybe he would have ended up signing him and that would have totally ruined DMX's career because he don't even like him like that. You understand what I'm saying? But instead he ended up on Def Jam made a whole bunch of hits and and the shit is amazing. But I do want to add this as a, as a part of the story. So the minute that the time that I actually really appreciated DMX was uh, uh, I was working for Dream Hire and there's this dude named Dax and he works at Hammerstein Ballroom. So he was doing what was supposed to be his last performance at Hammerstein. So me and my buddy Sinclair was like, yo, we got to go. I think Calabras was with us too. And we're like, my man Dax is like, yo, it's amazing here. Like, you ain't got to pay for no tickets. I'm going to sneak you up into the spot. You know what I'm saying? 
And we was like that. And yo, no lie, yo. We go inside of this building and we're like totally on the other side. My man literally opens up a door that like, maybe I could fit through like going straight in. But really you had to turn to the side to really maneuver. And yo, it's like a trick door, but yo, we went through, we went through, opens up, we go through, open up the door. We right by the VIP bar upstairs. You know what I'm saying? He just walk out of room and it's in the middle of the concert and all this. But that's where I learned, I gained my appreciation for him and his music. I already liked a few songs he had, but seeing him perform live, I was like, yo, I'm looking for the dude doing the ad libs. Like, yo, where's the other nigga with the mic? Like, what's going on? And Sinclair's like, yo, that's fucking DMX. He's doing the ad-libs while he's rhyming. I was like, yo, that's impossible. But then I'm looking and I'm like, yo, this nigga's right. Like, yo, that's amazing to me, yo. And I know, like, when you listen, because I've done this before, you'll have trouble with a rhyme. But once you put it down and you hear it, you're, like, able to execute it because you've heard yourself doing it. And I think that's what he 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 uh, was one of his skills because he definitely was hitting all the ad libs, kept rhyming, and you could understand every word he was saying. And I was like, "Damn, I'm I'm fucking up. Like, this dude's a mad professional, and I'm sitting here like he's okay. You know what I mean? So I had to reestablish it. I definitely revisited some albums and, and gained my um, appreciation for DMX. So, but I saved him from being signed to Bad Boy. That's crazy, man. Like your 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 influence is, is like, but it, like let's say like like that's probably kind of true. There's probably a mm-hmm. lot of truth in what you said, right? In mm-hmm. regards to you literally impacted whether or not he got signed. Now I know for me, like I encountered DMX when I'm 12, and he's like my favorite rapper in high school. Like whatever, whatever. I think DMX was my favorite favorite. Like I mean maybe Eminem, but probably DMX. I'm really like I loved his energy, honestly. Um, and then, uh, then he had his five-year run, and then all the other stuff happened, and you know, it is what it is yeah. with his career. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I like, I like that guy. The second DMX drops anything, it's gonna be like fuck everything else. I'm gonna go listen to it. But the truth is, that wouldn't have been like a feeling I have if you had an influence like that. So in a sense, you made a lot of people's lives better because that shit was a hot run for a lot of people. So uh, I guess thank you sincerely for that because imagine he had been buried by somebody that didn't want to deal with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would have exactly. been awful. So, yeah, not even just that. He just didn't even fit into the the struck the the wave and the structure. Like the locks were able to, you know move it over to the things that bad boy did i don't think that dmx had that in him yeah and, you're right. and, and if he and if he did it it might have been one of them things where like it eats at his soul so much that his music would have never been able to be the shit that everybody appreciated him for yeah because that just wasn't his wave and that wasn't what he was meant to do you know agreed and then you got, so now I'm going to tell this, this is going to be the final one I tell, even though I got mad stories, but uh, Mace. So Mace was like my dude, you know what I mean? Uh, Black Rob was probably the one I was closest with, but like me and Mace like had a relationship in the studio and we was mad cool the, all the time. And I always thought it was hilarious the way that he talked because he would talk like slow but I already knew he was intelligent. I'm just like, yeah, this motherfucker's playing games, but the shit is dope. Like, I fucks with it. You know what I mean? So this is when he's working on his second album. So he, we're in the room, and 
something happened with whoever was supposed to sing on the first single. And he's like, yeah, we got Blackstreet is going to do it and sing on your shit and blah, 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 et cetera. And he was basically sitting with them going over the album and what they planned on doing. So Puff leaves, bunch of people leave. It's just me and Mace in the room. Now, I told you Mace always talks like slow, yeah, and blah, et cetera. This was the first time he started talking to me and he was normal. And it like fucked my head up because I'm like looking at him. I'm like, yo, you sound like like you went to college for like five years studying vocabulary now, right? You know what I'm saying? So he's talking to me and he's like, yo, like, I don't get it, yo. It's like Puff trying to ruin my career. I was like, why did you say that? He was like, yo, I've been trying to be murder mace for the longest. I don't want to do all of this soft shit. I got murder bars, yo. Like, I can kill niggas with this shit. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I've heard him do it. So I'm like, yeah, I feel you. But, you know, your image isn't that right now. And that would fuck mad heads up. And then he's like, yo, but this nigga got Blackstreet on my first single. Yo, Blackstreet ain't popping no more. He's like, <laughs> why are you trying to ruin me, yo? And I sat there and I thought about it like, damn, you're right, though. Like Blackstreet's run is kind of over and they're on your first single. And you know, that album did not do well at all. You know what I mean? As a sophomore album, it just wasn't it. And my sister was a huge fan. I got the the CD from him autographed. I, gave, I had to give it to my sister. Like, you know what I mean? He was like, yo, this for you. And I was like, my sister loves you. Like, I got to give it to her. Here you go. You know what I mean? But I always was like the locks. Those motherfuckers, you hear their music now. It wasn't like that when they was on Bad Boy. You know what I'm saying? And then you got Mace, who wants to be Murder Mace. Now, Black Rob was probably the closest to being on the gangster shit, you know, that he wanted to be on. But he was like so intellectual with it. He was more just like a Bronx cat, like killing it on the microphone. Then you had G-Dep. G-Dep, to me, was the best wordplay-wise, but G-Dep didn't have the superstar personality. He a laid-back dude. He'll write all day. He'll spit all day. But he don't want to be in the spotlight. You know what I mean? Which is why when you see his first video, there's very little excerpts of him and a whole lot of excerpts of other people dancing and doing shit because his personality wouldn't shine through on camera. You know what I mean? So I, I found that one. That's kind of where I figured that whole thing out. Like, you already knew where Puff was, you know what I'm saying, as far as the music goes. And, you know, you knew that when he gave Big Juicy, and that's the first shit he comes out with, when that's, like, the hardest dude on the planet. But it's like you're drawing in those people <clears throat> by softening it up a little bit and making it um, palatable for people who aren't into that whole gangster stuff. So and that's, that's, that's another explanation. To your credit on the point of Juicy, uh, that like Super Nintendo bar he does is mm -hmm. one of those ones that caught like everybody because it's just like, yo, Biggie plays Super Nintendo too, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I like, so I remember hearing that conversation a lot in my life where like he a lot played of people... both, right? He played both, he played Super Nintendo Sega Genesis, yeah, right. <laughs> which is. Well, yeah, but it's just like I remember that because who the fuck else would even like really mention it, you know? Mm -hmm. But in this, 
I don't know. I thought that, that was that's a really to your point. It was a good move in terms of accessibility and getting a lot of people to go into the album and listen to some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, that's um, one of those things. It's like um, you want an artist to be themselves and all of this, but unfortunately, in the industry, for a lot of people, it was like you got to do this. And I need you to do this. You know what I mean? Now, Big was able to flip any idea that you gave him and make it so that everybody would like it. But not everybody has that talent. You know what I mean? Some people, it's like, let me be in my lane and I'll freaking murder it. Taking me outside of the lane is a little crazy. But to Mace's credit, I think he did a great job writing-wise with everything that he did, especially on the first album. And, and the best song ever made that will never come out is the one they did in Toronto. They went on, I mean, not Toronto, in Trinidad. They took a trip with a bunch of people and made mad songs. And one of them was The Prince Kiss. I think I said it in the last one, but I'm going to say it again. Yo, that's like one of the best songs ever. That shit was a classic. And Prince, of course, was like, no, you can't jack my song and use it. It's not happening. Which I also understand knowing Prince, so that's Fair what's enough. up. Yep. That's really cool, man. That was very entertaining. I was just sitting there enthralled the entire <laughs> time. I love the way that you tell stories. So I guess um, if we want to bring it back into, I guess, your life, uh, for everyone that wants to catch up, well, we did a whole other video, and the short version is Nunzio did a whole fucking lot and is seminal to a lot of different things throughout hip-hop history, so he's a very fascinating guy. But at this point in the story, we're getting to where you guys started end of the week, I think, is where we kind of left off, and that's where we're Yeah, I, I got one thing in between, so I kind of <laughs> messed up on the timeline. No worries so about actually, that. actually... Summer of um, 1999 is where I actually stopped with the bad boy. And that's where we kind of parted ways. Um, and then um, I got a job working for Dream Hire, which is the place that delivers the equipment to all the studios. So I went from being in the studio <laughs> as an engineer to being the person that delivers it as a job while still doing the engineering thing on the side um, for a little while. But I definitely, um, through the dream hire, went to Whitney Houston's house. You know, that's how I met Bob Power. A bunch of people just delivering equipment. And um, what I really liked about it is there's some freaking superstars, like legends in music. And they would be like, oh, I need this piano to come to my house, this guitar, whatever. And we deliver it. And they're just like the nicest people, happy to see you. Hey, you want to smoke a joint? Like, you know what I mean? Because I'll tell you, that was definitely a requirement on the job. If you didn't smoke weed, it didn't make sense for you to work at Dream Hire. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a pretty cool job requirement. But man, wow, that's right? crazy. Like, do you I think of what you just said is, I took this job. That was related to my field, but got me a lot of connections to meet a lot of people, right? You were able to name drop people you met. Now, a lot of people may look at a situation we're doing, I don't know, delivery may be like demeaning in some way because of ego and shit. But yo, look at the opportunity it created for you. That's a big time knowledge nugget. And you kept it related to your field, yes. which is That's where I became really wise about it. Exactly. Really cool. So it's always, I've always managed to keep in the field. 
somehow, even if it's outside of the actual industry. But like, uh, I'm gonna say this, in 99 is the year that hip hop sold more than rock and roll. Rock and roll had been dominating for freaking decades. You know what I mean? And once that happened, that's where I feel like everything got tainted with hip hop. And um, every label in 2000 created that urban department. You know what I'm saying? Which is supposed to be the hip hop department, basically. But urban music department. And the people, they literally just hired, labels just hired black people that were black. They were like, yo, do you know anything about this? They are like, well, you're a person of color. You like, you like this music? Okay, cool. You're hired. And that's, that's where we had the fall off. Because now you got people that are A&Rs, don't really know much about music, but they're like, oh, I like this guy. I need somebody that sounds like him or does what he does because I know how to fuck with that. So it's like the people leading it, the, the, the level got dumbed down to a certain degree and that's where all the taintedness happened. And now you got 10 people that sound alike and it got a little crazy. So I was actually happy that I was working for Dream High and not really on the industry side anymore, but I would still have that connection to the industry because actually Jive Zamba was two floors below where Dream High was. So Petey Pablo, Neo, a bunch of people that, that got signed to Jive, we would see them all the time and they were freaking great people and it kept us linked to the industry, you could say. Yo, that's pretty incredible. Um, honestly, you're just like, <laughs> you just keep being interesting. But shut up, Merker, because you just subscribed to my Twitch, and that's the rules on Twitch. So shut up, Merker uh, Music, and for being dope like that. So that's fucking cool. That's because you're giving us such knowledge that he felt so enthralled. So thank you for uh, helping that happen. That's fucking cool. Yo, people are fucking sitting there loving what you're saying in this chat, by the way. People are being inspired right now. So I want you to know, you're not just speaking to me. You got an audience of invested people on the edge of their seats watching this with me. I'm not alone in this feeling, man. So thank you so very much with this, dude. Um, so yeah, if you want to continue, man, feel yeah, free. So, so Dream Hire was a great job because um, we had um, started um, EO Dub basically in August of 2000. So third um, third Sunday in August of 2000, we started it. And we were there for a few months. And then eventually we got, um, we relocated to the pyramid. So we started at Baby Jupiter, which was a great place, but I was able to take equipment from Dream Hire and take it out on loan and bring it to these places, you know what I mean? So it was like the greatest thing in the world. The merger was fantastic. And, so and you were able to, what, cause you were working at the place that had the gear and they let you borrow the gear? Yes, to, you could to borrow To run the event. Yep. Man, that's a way to save some costs right there. Yeah, and I'm gonna say this. So when I first went, it was, uh, it was agreed that myself and Big Zoo are a group called Solid Ground. Then you had Eye to Eye, which was Vice Versus, Rest in Peace, Ego Trip, and Prolific One. This dude named Joey Ty had seen us all performing on separate occasions and liked what we did. 
and literally was like, I have an idea where we have dope MCs that can freestyle and work with each other to host an open mic instead of it being a personality or a person that just talks or crack jokes. That way you can actually display what uh, skills you're looking for in an MC because these people possessed it. And it was a great idea. So Zoo gets married and pretty much when he comes back from his honeymoon, he calls me and he's like, yo, in a couple of weeks, we could do this, um, this open mic and they want us to host. And I was like that. So now you talking about five people getting on stage and hosting. So when we went to baby Jupiter, I realized like, this is, this is too much. Like five people on this little stage is way too much. And I basically had opted out. They needed somebody to do the door and all of this. And I was like, you know what? I'll do the door. Like, you know what I mean? While y'all do all of this and it'll be cool. And Scram Jones showed up because Joey Ty couldn't make it. And uh, he had gotten diagnosed with cancer like shortly before we were supposed to do that. And quite honestly, he never made it to EO Dub to see what he started. And unfortunately, he passed away like six months after we had started. So it, it was a terrible thing, but I know he has a, he had a wife at the time and he has a son in this world. And we definitely plan on doing something for them at some point in time. But um, so we go and from Baby Jupiter. J Baby Jupiter is popping. Scram Jones is the man. And then the engineer doesn't show up one day. So me being an engineer, I was like, yo, I'll go in the booth and do it. Like, it's not a problem. I'll figure it out. So now I'm in the booth with Scram Jones. And that's where I realized Scram is like one of the greatest DJs ever. Because this is when you're using wax. And I would be up there EQing stuff, getting it right on the microphones. And this dude is spinning the music. And he literally would have two crates behind him. And he would take out like five records at a time put them under each turntable so that he could go through beats. Because unlike most people, when you do like a cypher with three or four people, you know, they might play the same song and just keep it going, the same instrumental. He was like, okay, this person went first. When the second person comes on, I'm gonna switch to this. And it would always be like the newest instrumentals out. Like you might've heard a new song on Friday. On Sunday, he's playing the instrumental. So, you know, he was definitely digging and going to whatever spots you could get to get the bootlegs and instrumentals, et cetera. But it was incredible to watch. And I definitely, after that, was like, DJ is not one of the things I'm trying to do because this shit don't look easy, but you make it look easy. And I love it. So I, I stick with the, with the recordings. And I remember we used to do meetings. So we would meet up before the beginning of the show, have a little conversation. It was a nice little bar in there and we would catch one of the booths and just sit down, build about what was going on. When James came into the fold, who's the manager now, he was like, yo, we need to monetize this. There's mad money we can make. We need to start a bank account. And he came with the whole business side of doing it because he had done uh, a bunch of hip hop events 
with internet people who were just giving away money to do hip hop events. So he had done events, a lot of great ones, and he wanted to do the same thing with us. So I'll fast forward. I remember coming in one day and they're like, yo, Vice and um, James are like, we came up with this thing called the MC Challenge. And they were like, this is the alternative to battling because the battle scene was crazy at the time. You know, so he's like, we don't, we were anti the battle pretty much because it's a bunch of negative words being thrown at people. You don't even know people and it gets very derogatory, you know what I mean? For people with such skills. So they wanted something that would enhance or show and prove that you have the skills of an MC. So they came up with these five rounds. The first one was written. Obviously you write, spit a written over a beat. And at the time, the DJ would just play a a popular instrumental, you spit on it, which is something you would do on the radio if you made it there. And that made sense. The next one was acapella, no beat. Let's see how your flow is. Let's hear every word. Let's see what your wordplay is like and see what your voice can do. Next round. That actually, it became the grab bag, but initially we would take words out of a out of a bag and hold the words and the person would have to use that word in the rhyme as they were rhyming. But we found that to be a little bit difficult, you know, especially because you got to read and you're flowing already. So it's a lot for the mind to do. So we, we changed it to the grab bag eventually. Then they had um, beat juggling is what we call it. Everywhere else it's MC versus DJ which kind of makes sense because the DJ is going to play three beats, different tempos, different type of beats. He might play a jazz instrumental. You don't know what's going to happen. Could be rock, could be jazz. It could be freaking country because I've seen that happen before too. And the whole point is for you to rhyme over the beat, never break the flow. Don't be like, yo, yo, oh, oh, yo, yo. None of that. It's like, yo, complete flow, keep it going, ride the beat, make it happen. And then the last round started out with two of the hosts rhyming with one of the contestants, right? And that's the cypher skills. And we were like, yo, our guys are so up there that we're going to put you with them and see what you do with two really good freestyling MCs. And that eventually evolved into the cypher skills round being all the contestants actually rhyming and trading fours with each other. Yeah, that's one of the coolest rounds. Like, I mean, the one I love the most personally is the the one with the DJ. Watching that shit go, that's that's my shit. But the idea of the cypher round at like a philosophical level is Mm -hmm. the coolest thing about end of the week. Cause like, I don't know, I don't have the personality for battling. But it's almost like to prove you're a master MC in end of the week, you can, it's not only that you're good, you have to be able to make others do good. You have to be able to carry off of what the last guy said, but also big up the next guy to take the torch and carry it proper. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's so inspiring as like an idea of how like people should interact with each other. So that's, right. that's fucking cool, dude. Well, it, for me, as a person that participated in it, and honestly, I participated with the host. You know what I mean? The first winner of the MC Challenge, who was Webified, who eventually spread it to France. Then you had a Big Zoo. I had Vice Versus and Pro. 
and then it was me in this freaking competition. And I'll tell you, uh, I did okay in it. I know I could have done better, but after I did it, I literally was like, I know exactly what it is I have to work on to be a better MC. Yo. So it's like I've been watching it, but actually being in it just opened my eyes. And then I was more adamant about getting people into it. Because I was like, yo, if you rhyming, dude, and you really serious about this being a career, you have to do the MC challenge. It's like the measuring test for where you're at right now. And it's your own personal measuring test. You don't have to win, but you got to at least be better than what you think you are or evolve yourself to be better than what you are. You know what I mean? So it pointed out all the little things that I needed to do. I definitely was like, I ain't better at freestyling. And, you know, I did that. So, yeah, I was like, yo, this is like incredible. I can't believe that my friends <laughs> made this up and this competition is incredible. So definitely they made that happen. And um, I think uh, maybe I'm, I'm going to say a month later, they came up with the whole end of the week. Before it had a different name, which I don't even remember. But uh, it was Vice that came up with it. And he was like, yeah, end of the week. But W-E-A-K. And I was like, yo, that's genius. <laughs> like, yo, that's incredible. Double entendre. We do it at the end of the week. Even though some people technically will say that's the start of the week. I was like, nah, Sunday is still a day off. It's the end of the week. The, your day starts. Your week starts on Monday. Fuck that. So it was the double entendre, but it was beautiful. And I just love the whole concept. Like, end of the week, yo, like, word. Like, I could definitely dig that, especially in a group called Solid Ground, where you talk about such things. I was like, yeah, I'm fucking with this. That's dope, so now, So now I'm, like, engineering again and doing this. But like I said, the beauty of it is having that equipment. So I was literally bringing in, at the time, I brought in ADATs. And I literally, about three weeks ago was going through um, my storage room and found the first MC challenge on ADATs. And I literally have a friend downstairs that still has the ADATs. So I'm about to transfer that over and see what it's I have what no idea what an ADATs is. I've never okay, heard that so one time in my life. Basically, an ADAT is a VHS tape, right? So do you know what that is? I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you never know, dude. That shit doesn't exist for some people. That's but fair. the VHS, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, the VHS, it was another form of tape, just like a cassette, just like a two-inch reel, and mm. you, you know, you would put it in this machine, and it would break it up into eight tracks. So okay. I could literally go in and put vocals on on eight tracks, you know, beat whatever it is. But I had eight tracks to do it, and it time stamps it at the same time. So if I if I did three ADATs together, you could link all of them together and they would roll together at the same time. So that's what I was doing. Only needed eight because we had three microphones and the DJ, which is only five tracks. So we were straight. But yeah, I found the originals and I'm definitely going to transfer those over and possibly play it at some point in time. I got a question. What are the five tracks the DJs use for? Why do they only need five? No, the DJ has two tracks as okay. the DJ because of the two-track stereo. But the other three was for the microphone. So you had 
three different microphones. So it's the input so I can mix everything and make it work. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So we go through there and then we end up in the pyramid. So unfortunately at uh, Baby Jupiter, uh, there was this whole Giuliani thing going on and he's trying to change the area where we're at in the Lower East Side in the village. He's trying to get people to pay thousand dollars to rent apartments down there and clean up the area and basically get hip hop was a target at the time. They had hip hop police that I dealt with at freaking daddy's house. And it was just a thing. They were definitely on the hunt. Like, yo, we got to get rid of this music. It's gangster. It's going to influence people the wrong way and et cetera, et cetera. So when I was doing the door, there was a cop on the beat that used to come through all the time, every week. And we would sit outside and I would talk to him. And he literally came one day and told me like, yo, they sent me over here to find something wrong so that I could shut you guys down. But he was like, I actually like what you're doing. And I've walked in and I've heard this shit. It's pretty dope. Like, and he's from the LES. So he was like, I've seen all types of stuff here. And this is definitely one of the good things for the area. So he never went about, you know, trying to shut us down. But one night we go there, we finish. Everything is a good night. And some people came in at like 1.32 in the morning, pulled the fire alarm in the room. Fire department came. And then they're like, yo, you got to be shut down. They were like, you don't have a liquor license. So your liquor license is dead. And the dude was like, the owner was actually like, fuck you to the cops and the police and everything. And when we met with him, he was like, you guys have free reign. You don't have to pay me nothing for this place. It's, oh, you bring your own. You can smoke in there now. So big cats could burn up in there too and bring your own freaking booze. So it was like, it actually elevated it to a degree because people were more eager to come through. Like you would pay... Honestly, I believe it was $3 to get into the spot to start with. You know what I mean? So it was not a problem. And I still would have people that came to the door like, yo, I was trying to get this Colt 45 for like, so can I give you $2 so I can spend this dollar and get this Colt 45 to drink? And, you know, you work out deals with people like, don't do it next week, but I got you. You know what I'm saying? So it was interesting. It definitely changed the vibe a little bit but it was in a good way because we were dealing with respectful people. So because of that though, the owner sold the spot. And when he told us, we ended up in a place called the pyramid. Now the pyramid is a legendary place. People like Madonna have been in there. I believe Nirvana's performed in there before. So there was this whole big like legendary up and coming artist going there. Blondie definitely performed there before. So it was like a, a, a kind of like a big deal. And honestly, I had been there before for some hardcore shows when I was going to those a lot. And uh, so we go there. There's a new sound man. His name is Mikey. He's freaking incredible. So it's like I get to chill again. And But instead of hosting, I was like, I'm going to do the door again. I like socializing with people. I could still see the show. And it was fun. But what I did do was I set it up so that we could get wireless microphones while we were performing every now and then, you know what I mean? And also recording a lot of the live stuff that we did. 
So the first few years, it was just me doing it to do it. But as we got, uh, as we progressed, it ended up being like a big thing because we started making mixtapes with them. But the first one that we ever did was Scram Jones. He had a crew called High Society. You had myself and Zoo at Solid Ground. And then you had Eye to Eye. And, and they did, uh, we did a mixtape. And when we put it out, the reception was great. And then, you know, my thing is doing the music. So now I'm using my resources to put us in studios to record stuff, start doing collaborations with all of these dope MCs coming through. Yo, that is, that's nuts, man. I didn't even realize y'all, y'all did that. Like I've heard a lot of these live things. I mean, the other day you were playing a bunch of live sessions mm -hmm. so is yeah. this like those live sessions are these linked to what you were doing back then is this the same kind yes. of stuff because yo first of all the quality is incredible like it sounds dope the the energy's lit like it was, it was like a really cool vibe but i didn't even realize that y'all were like making mixtapes and all sorts of stuff like that like you really like created a business out of an open mic and i'm, I'm not trying to like belittle it but i'm saying it like that because who the fuck creates a business out of an open mic that lasts yo until today <laughs> i agree with you i agree with you i said the same thing but for me and zoo it was different like vice and pro knew james as a manager we didn't so to us it was like this is great because if i have a problem it's not a friend of mine i could say something you know what i mean like i don't have to hold my tongue you know what i mean that's how i felt of course he's family now so you would never look at it that way but he made a lot of great decisions for us you know what i mean so I definitely am a big fan, but I'll tell you, you know, once we moved to the pyramid, um, it became like a movement. So you're there on a Sunday and now you're getting like the greatest MCs in New York. I guess at the time there was really nothing going on on a Sunday night for one, but two, okay. there weren't as many open mics at the time. And I'll tell you this, dude, like at certain point we were, probably the only open mic in in new york like doing that as far as hip-hop goes like there were other open mics like with comedy or they mix it up with poetry or you could do whatever your talent is and honestly we opened up the mic to anybody if you had poetry if you had jokes you could have done that at eo dub it just became a place where mcs were drawn to because they knew they could get it off over there as a new york city mc i can co-sign um, there were no open mics like that before end of the week. And then after end of the week, suddenly things started sprouting up here and there. There was a Monday thing that sprouted up not far from where EO Dub did. But all of their, all that stuff came and went. EO Dub has been going strong for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's another level. It's constantly, I tell people, um, right because it's the longest running open mic in new york city and then i say therefore the world because there's not going to be any other city in the world where you would be able to get the foot traffic and the people to like have a weekly open mic running constantly on a regular basis 
only in New York City you'd be able to get something like that. I was just thinking too, like I find myself drawn to your dub as well, right? And it's crazy that you're saying it because it's my experience. Like, listen, I've done a I've done a bunch of open mics where it's kind of everything and anything. And the thing about that is that the audience tends to kind of not care. Actually, is what I find, right? Like, yeah, the, the the pockets of audience that care about a particular thing will care about that particular thing. Um, you know, shut up, Masla. I saw your comment there. That's fucking nice of you to say. I appreciate you. Um, but like on the other hand, it's like what EO Dub is is a place for me to study. Like, I haven't necessarily participated in the MC challenge, but I started writing acapellas and shit because I'm like, yo, if I do go into the MC challenge, maybe I need to have some writtens and shit that are actually kind of tight and like take the best ofs here. Cause yo, yo, my, like, honestly, every single time I go, I want Big Zoo to be like, I didn't know you fucking rhyme like that. He's never done it yet. So every single fucking time, it's like, how am I going to get Big Zoo? What song is it? What shit am I going to have? And so like, it makes me want to step my game up. And it makes me want to like be better with it. And I do. the one time he did comment was my, the, the most recent thing I, I wrote. So I was like, okay, it wasn't quite what I wanted. But he commented. He was listening. That's cool. And so it's just knowing that that's the culture. And, yo, everybody's so kind. And, and that's what I like. like. I'm not the hardest dude in the world. I'm like the opposite of that shit. So the kindness and the idea where, like, yo, it seems like the more empowering and strong your message is, the more love it gets at EOW. And that, to me, is, like, the coolest fucking shit ever. So, like, I totally relate it, but to see you guys have planned that into the culture, like, even back to what you were saying, to be the anti-battle rap, in a sense, it worked, right? Because that's a whole other thing. It's not this ego trip. I don't know if it was ever. I don't know anything about that side. But from my experiences with it, it's not a bunch of big egos. It's a bunch of showing love. And I think yeah. it's a testament to what you created that in end of the week, Quebec, all the way over here, that same feeling exists all the way up here, you know, like, and I'm pretty sure because I talked to a dude in Switzerland who was involved with end of the week Switzerland and his feelings towards end of the week were exactly the same. So, I mean, that's three countries that kind of parallel this motive that you guys created. So I think that's fucking cool, man. I can't confirm the UK, but I'm pretty sure the UK has got the same kind of love for it. That's all I'm trying to Yo, say. Let me, let me chime in. Yeah, like over here. Obviously, we had DJ Snuff campaigning this thing for years, you know? And Snuff carried this flag. He showed a lot of people what was going on. And he had a thing called Speaker's Corner at the time, yeah. which was like the realest MCs possible come to this spot, you know? There was no gimmick bars anywhere because it was not accepted. This place was about soldiers, revolutionists, everything, which kind of transcended into the message of EO Dub. Because when the dub came around, no one came around with no fraff talk. It was some real heavy mentals, you know, which to me is the sign of ending the week, you know, because we ain't here to just talk any form of chit-chat and niff-naff. We're here to talk something that will change your global landscape because one thing that does connect us is we all have a struggle, every part of the globe that we're in, you know, and when we come together, it's such a brotherhood, a sisterhood. It's so it's family, and it's really amazing. I've been traveling five countries every year since 2015, yeah, and I'm totally blown away, brother. I am absolutely blown away. I left my heart in Quebec, yeah. I said I love the country. I don't even speak French, but I love that place, yeah. And 
I got the blessings of going there late in the year and it was hot. You know, I was wearing shorts. I was sweating like a madman. And a, <laughs> two days after, two days after I left, it was knee high snow. So I know that the blessings was with me, you know. Yeah. So, like, everywhere I've been on this EO dub campaign has made me an absolute soldier to the cause because it, it, it deals with a realness that you can't fathom anywhere else in any other challenge, you see. You know, every challenge is about grease, egos and so forth. This absolutely eradicates that. And I appreciate it so much, you know. So there you go. You just got a big cosign on that idea from the UK. Oh, yeah. And if you guys don't know who that is, that's Mass Law. I haven't talked to him much, but he hosted one of the EOW Zoom calls I attended one time. He blew my fucking mind. I followed him on Twitter or Instagram, and I've watched a lot of what he's done. I'm pretty sure you did a contest or were involved in a contest at one point. I'm pretty sure you're doing some interesting things over there, and people should go ahead and follow you. That's what I'm trying to say. Man, love for that, you know. Right now, I'm building stuff, but the EOW is always a campaign that I deal with. You get me? And I fly yeah, the flag man. over here. I'm yeah, setting up all the shops, you know, so what's going to come real soon is the EOW Cypher moment because I found a wonderful location. And nice. yeah, <laughs> plans is nice. in the plans. You get me? Yes. That's fresh, man. Yes, I appreciate Mom, that. is one of our ambassadors, definitely. You know what I'm saying? But let me say this, too, about the MC Challenge because I liked what you were saying, too. Um, the very first one that we did in Baby Jupiter, and I remember this moment, to, like because it really encompasses what the competition is about. So this was the first time we were doing it. And we did the first round, everything was great. But Webify was the first one in the second round, and he was going to do something, but he's like, yo, I really like what I'm hearing now. I feel inspired. I'm going to do this joint about my dad. And the acapella was about his pops. And it was real deep and emotional. And yo, after he finished, not only did he get mad hand claps and people was like loving it, the next person that came on, and I believe it was a guy named Warlock, he got on he was like, yo, man, that was beautiful. And bigged up the guy that went before him. Like, yo, that was incredible. Like, I'm feeling that. You made me change what I was going to write too. And then he spit something more emotional and true to him. You know what I mean? So by the time we got to the end of the competition, we were like, yo, everybody's bigging up each other for good rounds. People are coming, giving each other pounds during the, the freaking uh, competition. And we were like, this is exactly what we wanted. Like you people are in competition with one another and straight envying and enjoying what the other artists you're competing against are doing and that's exactly what we want it's a vibe you know what i mean like i'm not gonna hate on you i'm not trying to rip your head off i'm trying to compete with you you know what i mean and i've got respect for you as an artist and you get that respect back <laughs> so it was like the greatest thing in the world and I'll we had one thing uh -huh. from my perspective is you see when you do the world finals and mm. you have that whole week of bonding Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes it hard for you to want to go in and tear off someone's head because you've turned into, you know, that's your brother right there. Yeah. So you go in there and you master your art. You show your MC skills. And I appreciate that shit 100%. You know? Yes. 
Yeah, we recreated a respectful environment. That's for sure. So let's fast Amazing, forward man. back to um, the pyramid. We get to the it's pyramid. Great. This place has the greatest stage in the world. <laughs> like, honestly, of all the New York venues, their stage is one of the better stages because, you know, there's stages where you'll stand on it and as like I my be being six foot one, you're on stage. But if you like five seven, I'm like looking you right in the eyes. You know what I'm saying? Because the stage ain't that big. This stage was literally three and a half feet high. So when you're on it, everybody has to keep their eyes either straight ahead or look up to see you perform. And the sound system was dope. So it created this whole like, oh, this is like the stepped up, the upgrade, you know, to the performing. But it also made it so that we were getting mad people to come through all the time. So one of the things that made uh, the open mic special was actually the hosts. The hosts were very good, very professional, and created a synergy between themselves that couldn't be matched by anybody, I don't feel. Yeah, and that's huge. You know what the knowledge nugget you just gave is? Because yo, a lot of people want to talk about music scene savings and how to build scenes and stuff. And one of the things I realized is uh, during one of the more successful runs in Montreal, there was a consistency to the hosts in these events and a consistency to the artists that created a core bonding experience, right? So if we take a look at what you're describing through end of the week, first of all, it needs to be said that it's every Sunday up until COVID started and it was forced to stop. Like this like... Is like every fucking week consistency. That means people know that you're able to go on this time and it's going to be there. And if you want to perform, you're going to be there. Were you guys, did you guys start on time? I don't actually know. Is that a thing or did you guys start? Well, like, or, like, I yeah, mean, the um, well, this is the thing that we try to be on time, but you know, you got a manager at the club and all of that stuff. Mm. But it was, we were consistently there. Put it Fair that enough. Way. So let's say as much as possible on time, punctual with it. So people know, okay, I got to be here by this time, let's say, in general, in order to perform. So people got to know about that consistency. But then also, like, I mean, I've seen uh, Propane Dude talk. I've seen Big Zoo talk. I mean, we're seeing you here. We've seen, like, the vibe of the people involved in this shit, right? So it creates this atmosphere. So who creates the atmosphere? The host, the MCs of the event, right? The people carrying it down. So in a sense... It's like we can all look at that as like a use case if we're thinking about it in a more business terms. How can we replicate the success of this is having the right cast of people to make the right kind of fucking vibe to bring the right kind of people in, but also adding a level of consistency to it, right? So you can't be flipping shit up all the time. You can't be changing shit up everything. It's got to have that degree of it because you said it was at the pyramid. Like it's almost part of it, like end of the week, Sunday night at the pyramid. Big Zoo's going to be there. And so, like, you can kind of almost create a whole branding around this series of ideas to make your event the big thing to a point where even now, Sunday night, 9 o'clock, end of the week, virtual open mic, da-da-da, and it kind of drills in. It's the same time, same. And if you think about it, even with the Batman, same bat time, same bat channel, <laughs> it's all it's all like that. It's like it's a universally good idea. So thanks for dropping that knowledge nugget, dude. I love the way that we can learn with you. Yeah, so that yeah, consistency was the greatest. But the the chemistry between these guys on stage was incredible to the point where even the most established MCs that would come through would respect them. 
You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's what's up. Like, you just spit some real crazy gems, et cetera, et cetera. But the best thing about it was how they helped the other MCs that would get on stage. People would get on stage, you know, and they'd be by themselves, not really into it. And these dudes would be behind like, yeah, come on, let's go. Like hyping the crowd up, you know what I mean? And I'll be honest, I had never seen that before at any type of, of function. Like you you got your man that, that's with you that'll do your ad libs and you know people that know you, but you don't have total strangers like, yeah, spit that and hyping you up, like go in, like you're dope. You know what I mean? So we were literally, um, we used to call um, Vice the battery pack. You know what I mean? Cause he throw the battery right into your back while you on stage and, and and it's the truth. And it was like an amazing thing because now these MCs are cons- getting consistency of performing and becoming better MCs themselves. And then you're getting the acknowledgement from the people you respect as hosts, you know? So the trade-off was crazy and I, I'll, I'll admit this too, the energy in that building every week became like fuel for me. Like, cause it'd be like, I could have the worst week, but if I go to EO Dub on Sunday, the energy exchange in that building would fuel me to get at least to next Sunday, sometimes further, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely can empathize with that entirely. I'm not, yo, cause part of what you're describing is crazy for me to listen to because end of the week, Having that Sunday night, even my girlfriend just kind of got into it, right? Like, this isn't something she argues, you know? Sometimes she's like, whatever. But this time she was like, you know what? I like the music. I like the vibe. I like the energy. It's like, we get to know you. Like, she's seen you rap a whole bunch of times. She knows exactly who you are type of thing at this point. So, like, she was excited that we were able to do this, you know? Um, All right. But, but like, week over week, I find it's like, I, I know I missed last week. I was just fucking done. And it's holiday, whatever. But, like, even tomorrow, I'm like, yo, end of the week's coming. I'm fucking stoked. I'm fucking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's like I look forward to it. It's like, and it's also not something I host or anything. So I just get to like be there, and it's right. fucking cool. And that's also kind of fucking nice, right? Especially with the life I'm currently living. So that's just like it's like I get to just be at this great fucking event. I don't know. I like it a lot. And the fact is, is you're describing this because we're talking like what the 2000s at this point, like yes. earlier, and yeah. we're also talking about the same feeling in 2021. That's magical, dog. Magical, honestly. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Like, so you got, this is where I think we became like overly proud of, not even overly, but like super proud of what we had done is there was uh, like a major snowstorm or a storm that was coming through. And we were like, nah, we're going to do it. We're going to do the open mic anyway. Like we'll show up there. People will show up. You know what I mean? It'll work. And it wasn't the biggest crowd, but people came out. And then you would do the show. And these these are the nights where I'd be like, yo, these are my favorite nights. Because it's not as many people in the crowd. And one thing you have to learn as an artist is no matter how many people are in the crowd, you go all out and you do your shit so that at least one person in that audience is going to be go home and be like, I'm looking this dude up. I'm buying his record or even possibly buying some merch or merchandise from you, you know what I mean, that night once you get off. Because people would have CDs on deck. 
I'm gonna perform this song off of my album. You know what I mean? This is number 12 on the 17 song CD. And you know, that's how you would sell yourself. You know what I mean? So it definitely worked and um, mad appreciation for that. And, and then you got like 9-11 happens and we were open the day, the, the week of that Sunday after 9-11. And I remember that very well because people came in like to spit their regular stuff but the first person that went on in the middle of his song, he's like, yo, I can't do it. Like, this is messing with me. Like, I want to freestyle about this stuff that happened this week. And he literally freestyled about 9-11. And it was like everybody started doing the same thing. Like, people had lost people. People were still looking for people. It was like very, um, it was like therapy for the disaster that happened, you know? That's big, man. Uh, yeah. That's that's actually like really cool at the same time that it can create that kind of a channel. Um, do you want to play a song or something to show the people that are here? Cause I got to use the washroom real quick and I'll be back in like two minutes real fast. <clears throat> Yo, Nunzio, um, the producer on that track. That was me and zoo. Uh, there's a group called crew Wang bin and that's where we got it from. I asked him you know for a I reason. Like about that? You know what I like about that track and the album. It's so tidily matched with everything. Yeah, it's not overproduced or nothing. Mm -hmm. it's just mm. Yeah, and I like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just to say that, that we were listening to the album earlier on the stream. Honestly, man, it's so fucking good. I fucking loved it a lot, dude. I listened to it, I think, almost three times in a row, and I was still really feeling it. And that's like how you know it's a good album when it's like your third listen and you're like almost liking it more. That's the mm. best thing I can say about it, you know. It was fucking that good to me. I hear that, dude. I hear you. It's a beautiful yeah, thing. And, like, um, so that's my partner, Big Zoo, right there. We got a group called Solid Ground. This is his first actual solo album. So, album-wise, like, myself and Zoo had a group called Solid Ground. Been around for a long time. We originally, it was maybe five people it got almost up to about nine people in the group and then it went back down to just me and zoo <laughs> which was amazing in itself so we have an album that we put out together you know what i mean and um that was through eo dub called the balance but everything that we were doing at the time to get to doing an album became like the start of a EO dub project. So we would make songs and then it would be like, yo, we should use that with this and then take this. And then it just became like, we just were recording a bunch of stuff. So everybody's an artist, we do our thing. And um, at some point in 2004, uh, we took the money that we were making from the open mic and opened up a studio called the Dojo. And this was on 10J Street in Brooklyn, right between the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge. So the view was phenomenal. There were no obstructions of the view. And it was easy to get to. And mad people would come through. And it was a, a great time. And it gave me, um, after the whole dream hire thing, it actually gave me a job. So I was literally back in my element. And except now I'm doing it for EO Dub. 
and uh, a lot of the people that would come to the open mic would come through there. I had freaking Guru in there before. Okay. Uh, Raskaz came through before. Okay. Definitely uh, Sadat X had been in there. Like Is a it, lot of. Just we had a comment on the the Twitch. Is it the dojo? The dojo. Yes. Cool. That's so cool that these people are coming through. Yo, it was it was an incredible time for me. Like I, you know, I I pride myself on my engineering mentality, but definitely um, it was also helpful with production wise because I I had the MP and all this stuff in the studio, so people would come through and we would literally just create. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and like I always tell people, when we had the dojo uh, on Sunday nights. After EO Dub would be like the greatest thing in the world because you would have a person like Killer Nems or just Nems now. Um, you would have Iron Solomon, Vanguard, and whoever else you could name would come through afterwards. And then they would literally battle each other, but on some like real funny, like I'm just trying to outdo you in a humorous way. You know what I'm saying? And and I think those nights are very memorable for me because of the the talent of these artists and the fact that they would get together and just hang out just to 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 sit in the joy and splendor of the artistry. So the vibe of this whole EO dub thing was incredible. But I, I will uh I do wanna mention um Webified before I go any further. So he was the first winner of the first MC challenge. And we did a whole season. And at the end of that first season, we ended up with the momentum that we had gained. We ended up at BB Kings on 42nd street to do the finals of our MC challenge. And the place got sold out. You know what I mean? So, I want to say it was Mob Deep that performed, but it might have been Brand New again. Uh, and pardon me for that. But Either way, those are some big names. Yeah, and, and it was a great draw. But people literally were loving the MC Challenge. Even if they came just to see, you know, the, the headliners, they literally would sit there and be like, yo, this is dope. These artists are dope. I remember Poison Pen bringing out the championship belt. He was very into wrestling and he had one of his wrestling belts and he brought it out like, I'm the champ. That was amazing. Um, I'm that. trying to remember the people in. So I believe it was Breeze, Everflowing, Webified, Subcon, uh, Hom, and Poison Pen. Exactly. Wow. But yes, that was a great moment. Uh, I believe Breeze was the one that ended up winning. Oh, no, I'm sorry. wasn't Breeze. It was C-Ray's Walls. C-Ray's Walls. And he actually won. That's really cool. But Webified was down with us, you know, and he had a lot of music that he was trying to do. We helped him to get put an album together. I mixed some of the records that he had, and James funded him and uh, put the stuff out. But then he ended up getting an opportunity to go to France to do some shows with a bunch of people that he had met. And when he went over there, 
he called us back like a month later, like, can you send me more CDs? Like I sold all of them. One, two, I want to re-up. And three, I want to stay out here because there's momentum and I want to try to start EOW out here, which he eventually made happen. So That's crazy. Yeah. And honestly, through France is how all the other connections happen. At some point, somebody saw the one in France, and now we got Snuff doing it in the UK. You know what I mean? And it spread to Spain. I remember that. I remember 2004 taking a a two-and-a-half-week trip out there and doing a tour with a guy named Rapsius Clay as the headliner who was very popular out in Spain. And we did a series of uh, MC challenges in, in um, Spain with people doing it in Spanish. So it was great. But that that is the defining moment, I think, would have to be doing the world finals. Because once we finally got to a point where we were doing a world finals, and then all of these countries would get together in one central place, and we would do the, have them compete against each other in their native languages. So already you know that you're getting a top-notch MC because you got these countries doing a series of rounds and then their own championship to crown a champion. So you got champions against champions and it's amazing. And one thing I always thought would, uh, would deter me would be like, I don't know German, I don't know French. So when these people are spitting, I don't really know what they're talking about. So I don't know how I would judge, but yo, honestly, when people start flowing and doing their thing, it's like you could tell. And I don't ask me how, but I've I've been there for a whole bunch of world finals, and I would say I was dead on almost every time. I'm gonna say 85% of the time, I picked the person that was going to win with whether I knew what they were saying or not. Like there's an energy about it. Like you can tell. So I, I always implore people like uh, there's a girl named KT Gorik, right? She's from Switzerland. Dude, like I don't have to understand any words she says. Her music is phenomenal. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you listen to it and I know it only because she did. She won the championship out here um, when we did a world finals. And I remember watching her and I was like, this, she's like the 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 French Lauren Hill, like, I think, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know exactly what she's saying, but the vibe I got from her was incredible. And now I'm a fan. I subscribe to her YouTube page. I buy her records. Like, it's it's incredible. And there's a lot of artists from EO Dub that I do the same thing with. Very good stuff. It's really cool that you support like that. Like your whole energy, like just in general, like you give, you use your skills to give back to people, to help people. That's mm-hmm. fucking crazy cool, man. That like is, it's just like with your career, I guess there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways you can end up as a person, right? Like we all know the other side of the coin. We all know the other way it could be, but I feel like it's such an honor to be able to have you here and hear your story, given the kind of man that you are today, like. I don't even know who you were at first when we talked and you just gave me the biggest fucking kindness ever. I know like it was so cool the way you hit me up, the love you gave me, you know, like it was just amazing. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, honestly, like you, you do this long enough, like I'm 49 years old, right? So being in this field for the longest time, really you could tell right off the bat what's real, what's fake. 
Uh, one of the things about the industry that got me down was, you you know, you want to hang out, you want to go to parties, you know what I'm saying? You want to meet people and do stuff. And I would go to these parties. And after a while, people would start recognizing me. Like, oh, you the engineer from daddy's house. Like, oh, you the dude from the O-Dub, like blah, blah, blah. And you would have conversations with people and the conversations would be like, Yo, we got to get up. We got to do this. Yo, I got this plan. We're going to put this into action. And then nothing would ever happen. You know what I mean? Nobody would get back to you. You would hit them. They wouldn't call you back or whatever, what have you. And then I started realizing it's like, yo, dudes is just talking to kind of get you on their side. And it's almost like some con artist thing going on. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to flatter you and get you to like me so that at some point in time, you could do something for me or I could get you to do something, you know, to help me out in some way. But then because of that, when I'm doing EO dub, I'm meeting people and you could tell that it's genuine. So now I'm at the point where I meet a person, I could pretty much right off the bat within like five minutes of a conversation, know where your head's at, know whether I should even continue to talk to you <laughs> or if I should shun you, like I believe this is nonsense you're talking. That's real so, cool that you're here yeah. for a part two then. That's all I'm gonna say. That's real <laughs> cool. Vibes, man. You get follow the vibes, man, I'll tell you. Because they're That's usually amazing. not wrong. I feel like in a in a way we're sharing what end of the week is. At least there's there's people in the chat. Like shout out Merker Music, shout out Ismail Gadams Gadamsi, my bad. Shout out Sammy C who was here before. Like these people are like soaking this shit up because a lot of people on my end are from Montreal, right? So like this is just crazy to see ways to make it work, and that's right. what's that's what's amazing about this is that you are like if we literally listen to what you're saying, and I'm definitely taking notes in my head, and we go back and we organize, we can replicate a few of these things, and there are examples even within our city. Like there's this thing called the cipher that's like ran years and years, and then a lot of it is the same shit. It's consistent. It's got a cool vibe. There's community because uh, uh, preach and Kobe was here before again, positive vibes and shit. And like it's about the music. It makes it kind of like you know cool. And these things do exist, but do we ever really give the the love to it the way we're supposed to? I don't know. So when I'm hearing you describe this kind of stuff, I'm like, yo, this is actually in my city. I just you know it makes me want to go look for it, and then it makes me want to like go also replicate it elsewhere. So it's super helpful. On top of you're a highly entertaining individual with good stories. Yeah, right. <laughs> thank you. I uh, uh I'm gonna definitely say this. I think music has always been the main thing for um, EOW. The open mic was like an opportunity for other people and for us to find talent, like for the MC challenge, et cetera. But once that talent is found and then you're getting people in the studio, like when we had the dojo to do stuff, I think that was like the most phenomenal time because we were taking the best parts of everything and actually putting it onto record. You know what I mean? So now we're doing mixtapes on the regular. Everybody's got their little vibes about them. You got Webify doing albums. You know, then, then we did a bunch of compilation albums, definition, redefinition. Um, but I think uh, the pinnacle was when we did the Three Kings album. So Three Kings was Vice, Pro and Zoo still is, you know what I mean? 
And they put together a really, really, really great album. And we pushed it and it got us into a lot of places, a lot of markets. We did, uh, we definitely, Fat Beats, if anybody knows, Fat Beats is like, that was the spot. Fat Beats had records, CDs, whatever form you were trying to get the music on. And it was like the place to go because they would have all of the new stuff, whether it was underground or mainstream. So it was like a central place you could go to, especially for hip hop. And that's what it was meant for. And I remember we did uh, in store with them that turned to an outdoor on 8th Street and, and, and 8th Street and 6th Ave. And literally the cops came and um, shut us down because we had such a large crowd there. They were like, dude, like you can't do this. And they almost took away the wireless microphones that I borrowed from Dream Hire. <laughs> but, you know, they let us live. They knew we were nice guys. It's like I said, there's a vibe and people can tell. So they definitely let us live. Explain to us, if you ever want to do this again, you call us precinct in the area and you can do it. We can't stop you from doing it. But you got to organize it better than this. So that was a jewel in itself. You know what I mean? But what I would like to do is, can I share the screen and play you this video from Three Kings? Yes, anytime you want to do that, sure. you can always do that. Nice. So, yes, exactly. And that song actually got us onto MTV, and uh, they did a thing about the Five Elements. That's also something you can find on YouTube. Still, it's very, very nice. And I believe if you subscribe to the EO Dub channel, you can find it much easier mm. so i definitely uh that was like one of the launching pads and when they dropped that album there was a lot of stuff going on a lot of touring being done we were selling a lot of cds hand to hand and it was just very good financially and brought us to a to a, a more of a professional i guess like uh entity like um before that I think everybody was loving EO Dub. They loved the brand. They loved the name. But once you put out something um, physical that you get touch and feel and hear, they I think they were really like, oh, like you're doing it now. You know what I'm saying? And it definitely made it easier for us to uh, collaborate with people and make it grow. You know, the, the only thing I, I ever regretted was we haven't done that enough with our fellow countries that have been established you know but mm. it's coming it's coming trust me i'm working on that but all, that, I, can, all I can say is uh in this era it's going to be a lot easier to convince people to adopt new ways of thinking yes wait, 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 but in saying that you've got to remember yeah there is a album in uganda mm -hmm. there is an album in montreal there is an album in prague there's a track from Switzerland. Yeah. So there's albums out there. You lot can go find it. Or Bandcamp, them thing there. But, you know, it, there's there's official things where the world has combined to make a product. You get me? Right. Okay. I was always about that. Like, go check out the Montreal album. It's fire, man. It's I love what absolute you're fire. El Catola on the track, I believe. I hope I'm saying it right as well. You get me? But he absolutely murdered the production. 
Monkey had some production on there. I even put production forward on that one. So, like, check them out. The world has got albums out there. EO Dub albums are out there. It's amazing shit, man. Cool, man. I'm yeah. going to look into that more. Yeah, that's what's up, dude. I appreciate that. And you're absolutely right, because I, I listen to everybody's stuff. I, or I try to as much as possible. You know what I mean? I definitely got my Slugs album, and I love it, so... You know what I mean? Listen, Vice has got a track on the EO Dub Prague album, yeah? I'm big up EO Dub Prague because the Czech Republic did it big, yeah? They sold out like their national theater and it was mad. It was absolute crazy vibes the whole nine. But they came back with the album the next year on a flash drive, but like a credit card, you know? And they presented it to all of us and said, here's the album, boom, boom, boom. So we all had our USB boom. Um, nice. Vice has got a track on there called Thank You. And that thing there is so passionate, man. Check into that. That is bang. Yeah? Thank you for yeah. sharing, man. That's what's up. So I'm going to take it back just a little bit. Do um, 2004. Um, Let's do it. Memorable part of 2004. So not only did we start the uh, dojo, but we also had started to host uh, Rocksteady in the summer. So yeah, anybody knows Rocksteady crew, breakdancing, uh, they used to do a, a yearly event in the summer, usually the last week of July. And it would be a series of different events, breakdancing one, there's a DJ in one, uh, the main one was the outdoor, free outdoor concert. And at the free outdoor concert, you would get all of the up and comers that you might not know of uh, with the established like uh, veterans of hip hop. So you would get like, I definitely saw Brand Nubian before I knew who Brand Nubian was. You know what I mean? And then you get like a Lord Finesse, you would okay. get um, most deaf and Talib as Black Star before the record came out. You know what I mean? But they would be on stage with Fat Joe, KRS-One. You know what I mean? The established greats that had been around for a long time. So it, this is like, to me, it was the greatest because I always tried to make it to that. And now my boys are hosting the shit. You know what I mean? And I get to chill backstage meet everybody. It was like a super, super elevation for me. And then what's crazy is you go back there and you start realizing a lot of the people that, that you admire, you actually know now. You know what I'm saying? Like Sean P, go backstage, see him. Hey, what's up, nuns? I'm like, oh, what is the deal? Same with General Steel. I was like, yo, this is crazy. You know, you get El Sensei. Um, doing his thing and he's like bigging you up because he's been to e EO Dub and performed. You know, it's a it's a great feeling and and it makes you feel more connected to it too. It's it really becomes like a family thing. And you know, there's extended family and then there's like my good friends, etc. So just seeing these people all the time was consistently a great thing. But for us it was a big uh booster because you got a free outdoor concert where you're getting thousands of people to come out. They're bringing their kids and all of that. And they're watching 
EO Dub be represented and we always had the uniforms. That's what we called them. You got to wear your uniform, end of the week t-shirt, whatever you got, you know, headband, Skelly, whatever it is. Like you got to rock it and represent the, the brand. And it worked. So those Sunday nights after, because uh, Rocksteady, would do, the outdoor concert was on a Sunday. So the Sunday nights, we'd announce it. We're doing the open mic. You would get a bunch of new people that would show up just because they were like, yo, you were hosting all day and I liked it. I can't imagine what the actual show would be like. So there was a lot of draw for us. And we literally became the place to go to. There's so many MCs that I speak to. They're like, yo, I had to go there. Because if you didn't go to EO end of the week or EO dub, as they call it, and kill it, you weren't official yet. It was like, kind of like your initiation. Like, oh, I've been there. I've been the end of the week and I killed it. And it's like, that's a fucking kudos for you. You know what I mean? So we, we loved it and it was great. But the international thing is probably the greatest part of end of the week, period. You know? And I say the UK, I, I've been to a few of them. I never made it to France, unfortunately, but France was probably one of the biggest ones because they, they, they would go through all of these regions and they would be sold out. Like people would be outside having to wait. I remember them telling me about when they went to host one of the um, world finals out there, they were like, yo, you couldn't even get into the spot. There was mad people outside, 200 people outside. They couldn't get in, yet they all remained outside. I'll tell you something. I'm sure it was Prague, you know, because Prague had, I believe it was a thousand in attendance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was sold out before the actual show. So wow. there was so much spillage outside, you know. They did so well, brother, so well. You know, <laughs> I remember because at the end of that one, when we all sat down and said, where are we going next year? Everybody was like, damn. Ooh, yeah. I got it. Is that a shirt I see over there? Yes. So I just wanted to show this if I could. You see the whole thing? Yeah. I see the top half. If you want to go back a little bit and lift it up. There we go. That's the whole right. thing now. All right. So as you can see, we got the U.S., there's the U.K., there's France. And then there's Spain, Argentina, and Brazil. It's fucking cool. Right? And Germany also up there. And these are like the originals. Like, this is where it originally had started with the expansion. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually it got to a place here. And it's kind of backwards, but I think it will show up right because it is backwards. So this... As U.S., France, Sweden, Uganda, Czech Republic, Italy, South Africa, Switzerland, U.K., Ireland, Canada, Belgium, Spain, Germany. Now, realizing Canada, it started in Toronto with Monica, and she rests in peace. And um, it eventually got to Montreal and Quebec. And, um, you know, that um, in itself is, is really great to me. You know, it's tough really to keep these things going 
uh, especially if you're a person doing it yourself. Like one thing that you definitely should know about end of the week is the people that take on this responsibility to actually do these events, they're doing it on their own time, out of their own pocket, you know what I mean? In hopes to make the money back, et cetera. And it's like an investment, uh, but it really takes up a lot of your time. So it, it's tough to keep these things going uh, without a squad of people to, to back you up. So in a few cases, there's people that didn't um, have the support to keep it going, you know what I mean? But we always try to lend support as much as we can. But it's tough when you're in another country. It's like I could send you money and all that, but I can't physically be there to do some of the work for you. And sometimes you can't actually send the money. So we've we've had a roller coaster with places that have done EO dub and have fallen out, but they they always will exist as chapters. And if they ever want to restart, we are definitely more than happy to help and make that happen. Mm. So uh, I think um, one of my greatest uh, travels, I think as far as this whole EO dub thing goes, is Germany, because we were at a point where a lot of the countries were attending, you know? So I remember meeting Sino from, from South Africa. And um, I also remember him eventually having some heart trouble and then the community that is EO Dub actually got together and raised the money so that he could have the surgery that he needed. And it was successful and extended his life. So, you know, uh, one of the great things about EO Dub is it really is like a family. And we will do stuff like that for people in the family as much as we can. So uh, I definitely know that. <clears throat> a lot of people I've met have been like, EO Dub saved my life. You know what I mean? I, I actually said we should make a TV show and make it a series because it, it's just a little bit life-changing for some people. <clears throat> it definitely was for me in the, in the fact that uh, I no longer needed the, the validation of an industry, you know what I mean, to do the music that I wanted to do, to travel, be on tours, we accomplished all of that with end of the week. And it was kind of on more on my terms than, than uh, a label's terms or another person's terms. You know what I mean? That's controlling things. So uh, that's uh, that was a, always a beautiful thing to me that I always appreciated. But there's a lot of people that told me like they were getting in trouble. They weren't doing the right thing. And then EO Dub came along and it gave them something to focus on. Mm participate in and keep them out of trouble and be, you know, more um, beneficial to people than harmful. And uh, I definitely, at every time I've traveled and gone to another country, I've gotten that vibe. Uh, one thing I want to say to everybody that's listening is if you ever get a chance, like people in New York, there's people that straight stay confined to a 10, 20 block radius. Like, they don't even go into another borough. You know what I'm right. saying? You could be in the Bronx and you've never traveled to Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Which, to me, is really crazy. But even outside of that, even on a bigger scale, like, don't stay in the country that you're in. You have to, you should visit other countries. 
because mm. then that just opens your brain up to how things are. Because I definitely, when I went, the first one I went to was in Spain and it was eye-opening. It was a little bit racial to me when I was out there, you know what I mean? But overall, the people that I met and actually um, conversed with and, you know, hung out with were all great people. And it definitely, I'll tell you what messed me up was siesta. Like, you know, we spend all our time working mad hard. You got the, some people work part times on top of full times. I was one of those people at the time. And when I went out to Spain, I was like, yo, these dudes straight take a two hour break in the middle of the day. Like, like, what is that about? And to the point, like, we went out one day. We're like, yo, we're going to go by these churches. We're going to look around in Spain. We're going to, like, sightsee. And I was like, cool, let's do that. We went outside, and the parking lot of the hotel had, like, a flea market going on. And there's mad stuff there, and we're looking, like, yo, ready to buy stuff. And I'm like, yo, hold up. Let's go do our sightseeing, and when we come back, we could do that shopping. You know what I mean? But let's go stick to the plan and do it. They was like, bad, let's do it. Yo, we came back at 1230 and there was a literally a street sweeper sweeping up the parking lot. All of the joints was gone. And we was like, what happened? You asked the dude inside. He's like, it's a yesterday. It only happens during the day. Once we get to noon, it's over. And I was like, wow, yo. And they literally shut down till two o'clock. Take a nap. There's one 24 hour spot. You know what I'm saying? But other than that, there's, there's everybody sleep. They got the shutters on the windows, steel, some wood. Like, yo, I'm going to go in complete darkness and take a nap. Or not, but you get your time off, and then you go back to work for a couple more hours. And I always thought that, that always messed my head up. Like, what are we doing in America, yo? Like, y'all already got me on some eight hours. Then I got to do overtime do a 10, 12, 16, and then you don't want to pay me for all the time I've done. And it's real crazy. Whereas in other places, they're straight like, yo, take it easy. Like, we don't want you to kill yourself. We want you to be fresh. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Be good for when it's time to work. And I appreciate that. Uh, another thing that I noticed when overseas is, is it's, it's a lot more laid back and, and less tense. Like where uh, every place I've been, I've enjoyed myself and I always will compare it to home. And I, I'll be like, yo, I don't know what we're doing in the United States, but we need to keep up with these other countries mm -hmm. <laughs> and do something for the people. You know, it's a little more people oriented, but every country, of course, has its problems with authority, et cetera. No, but it's really interesting that you say that because I happen to work for a software company and Montreal is quite an international city. It's not quite New York, but it's in a list, I guess, on the low end of that list, but still there. And so there's a lot of uh, people I've met that weren't born here. So I work on my team with this lady uh, who was born in Germany. And when she describes the German work culture, it's more like you go to work, you don't really have friends. You just do your shit. There's no small talk. You get your shit done. And the second you leave, it's fuck off till tomorrow. And I'm like, yo, I'm like, I don't know. I, Cause personally, I'm not the biggest fan of all the small talk and friendliness. Like I'm not like, it's not that I don't like my colleagues, but 
we have different like lives so it's like hard to connect with them whatever so i'm like yo let's just get the work done but no it's all this like hi how are you let's talk about the house and the kids and all this other crap and it's like yo we waste so much time honestly we waste, we waste so much time at work that's the facts of it so work from home is actually nuts right because it's got a lot of us to be more productive because we don't talk to each other which is just nutty but it kind of goes into the point of like maybe there is a lot to learn from a lot of these other cultures and a lot of these experiences that um that we can take back home because i did this i i I went to pakistan one time and uh what i noticed there was like this huge focus on family like like work and stuff isn't the same you can't really go on your own and get a job so easily and go live on your own but instead, everyone's just used to living in these big households with lots of people collaborating and stuff. But like, they weren't unhappy. They were very happy people. And I was like, yo, because yo, if you look at how everything gets painted on like the TV, it's like you know you think everyone's miserable if they're not from home. But you you go somewhere like that, and you're like, why is everyone so happy? Isn't it like we're we're we living the best life ever? Then we have all this, and they're like, yo, I love my family. I'm like, yo that's a big sentence you don't hear not to say that it's like terrible this is that's not the most common sentiment back home is all i'm saying compared to the love that these people have for family and community and working together and i'm like damn that was hugely eye-opening for me so i completely get where you're coming from with all that that's really interesting um but that's why like when we do the world finals because when you do the world finals people come through and you literally hang with these people over a course of a few days, like Moss Law was saying, and you get to know them. By the time you're done, you're like, yo, this is like a new family member and and you're like tight and you love it. And you're like cheering them on when they're doing their competition. So you don't, you don't even want anybody to lose. You're like, I wish you all could be winners, but of course there has to be a winner mm-hmm. in a competition. So, but it's a great thing, I think, um, just to meet new people. Like, you know, it's something that should consistently happen with us, but you know, we, we get into shells and, or we're not outgoing. So you don't meet people like that. But in in this arena, you don't have to be outgoing to meet somebody. It's Mm. like, you should meet everybody that's participating if you're participating and that's what makes it good. And I'll bring this one up because uh, we went and did the world finals in London before, right? And I remember that the guy that had won was a guy named Dirty Mac who was with us. And we took him out there and the whole time he was so concentrated on winning that he didn't actually get the experience of building with all of these people from other countries and all this. He kind of separated himself from everything. Like, oh, I got to get this rhyme down. I got to do my thing and I got to kill it. And then what was crazy was he didn't do that well in the actual competition. But we got to the final round with the trade fours and he traded fours with these people and it was mad dope. And as soon as the competition was over, everything else we did for the rest of the time, he was, he was chilling with these people. He was having a good time, rhyming back and forth. And they all like, damn, like, you should have done that during the competition. You know what I'm saying? Like, now you're rhyming with people, but now you're at ease and there's a different vibe. And that, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a lesson for myself. Like, a few people back in the States was like, yeah, I didn't think he should have won. And me, I was like, nah, that's not what it was. The problem was that we didn't sit him down and tell him 
how to soak in everything and enjoy himself. Like you shouldn't have to do that. But once you see a person not doing it, it, it was our job to tap them on the shoulder and be like, listen, man, like, I know you want to do well in the competition, but there's more to it than just this competition. You're in another country. Like, enjoy the fact that you're with people from other places. Learn about them. Expand yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I think that was a big lesson for me in the world of Dub, because you don't get these opportunities all the time. Like, I definitely at one point in time was like, yeah, I'm going to every world finals, but it hasn't ended up that way. But the ones that I went to, I loved them. You know what I mean? And I wish I could go to every single one. And I'm definitely going to the next one. Especially after <laughs> You know what I say, yeah? Yeah. I please. always say this because you see with this end of the week, when you go to the world finals and you make these friends, you now have a passport for life. You can go to any one of these countries on the end of the week and you have people that will show you the real side of the country without all of the central palaver, you know? So mm. that is another beauty at the end of the week, the world passport it gives you. That's really cool. I really love that personally. Mm. Um, and I feel like it's nuts. Like, um, just to like add to that, like, like something you were saying earlier, like this val on the validation front, uh, I think it was before my internet cut. Um, the idea that I'm able to sit there on a Zoom call with a bunch of guys in New York and I'm not getting booed off the Zoom call, you know, like, that, what can <laughs> y'all say to me? You know, like, what come on? Because I did a bunch of freestyles and shit, right? Like, they weren't the best, but they weren't, like, completely garbage. So I'm like, okay, okay, I can hold my own. And it just made me feel like, fuck everything else. No offense to my city or anything, but, like, if New York's okay, I'm like, that's a different thing. That's just a specialer thing is all I'm saying. So, like, what's crazy about that idea, too, as I was talking to Cool Man Logan, who's also a part of the end of the week Zooms very regularly, and he was describing this moment he had back in the mid-2000s where he went to end of the week one time and, like, Iron Solomon signed him up and he crushed it or whatever. And he, like, you know, it was just so significant to him that he never gave a fuck what anybody thought again. He just knew he could do it. And I'm like, it's such a powerful validation point too, right? Because of, like, all yeah. the stuff that you were, like, kind of bringing together in terms of the energy that it brings forth. And it's also like crazy how it got so international. Like, honestly, when I look at all the list of countries and you really, really consider it, like there's not many things in life. It's like a, a rap Olympics of sorts. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what it is. And uh, I think that's really, really cool. That Like we're, like you were such a big fucking part of it. But um, I do want to know more about you, though, because I feel like we kind of stopped in 2004 and then we went into like, I don't know, 16 years of like history compacted into like, yeah, end of the week <laughs> is amazing, which is dope. And I think it's actually really important to do it like that because it really does show how incredible end of the week is, right? But I do want to understand your story as well. Like you, you have to have had an amazing series of things happen to you between 2004 and today, you know, like. Yeah, yeah so what I'll say is, and, and it's funny because I I call this year the reset, right? This past year, I should say, because mm. we're in the new year now. It was a reset for me. Because one of the things uh, that happened when I worked at Daddy's house, a shaman came through and did and read everybody, like, their fortune. And when he came to me, like, he had mad stuff to say with everybody else. When he came to me, he just asked me a series of questions. And every answer that I gave him, was music related. And then he was like, yeah, 
He was like, that's what your ancestors are telling me. Like you're a music dude. So when it, end of the week comes around and I'm like in the studio, that's my job at the time. You know what I mean? Like doing the dojo. I'm recording a bunch of people, making a bunch of beats, you know, and I'm just in my element. I'm rhyming on a lot of stuff. And that's, that's like the shit to me. You know what I'm saying? Then what makes it even better is at EO Dub, I'm not like the main focus at EO Dub. You know, mm. the, the three hosts are the focus. Being on the, you know, guest list, the DJ, there's mad places to go outside of myself. But then when I get on stage and I do my thing, because I've been doing the door and doing the sound and mad people know me, I go and I spit and I come on stage and Cats is like, yo, I didn't even know you spit like that, son. And then they be hyped and then I, I get hyped. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I do that. And then it's like, but it's more of a validation. You know what I mean? So that feeling alone is like a great thing for me. I love that because I don't want to go out and, and brag about my accolades and the stuff I've done. But if I get on stage and I spit something and you come and you're like, yo, I was listening. I like that. Yo, that's, that's exactly what I want and look for and need. And it feeds my, not only feeds my energy, it feeds my soul. You know what I'm saying? So this with EO Dub doing all of that, it was the greatest time of my life. And then I got this job working for the Riverside church. So the Riverside church was built by the Rockefellers. And this is basically the black church in Harlem, you could say. You know what I'm saying? So when I'm working there, I've done so many uh, big events, funerals for Ruby D, you know, for like really famous people, Ornette Coleman, like you could go down the line. Percy Sutton, who is a great person, um, and really meeting a lot of celebrities at the time when they come through. But being, I was the tech, the head tech dude. So basically every event that we do in this place, I'm the one you gotta go through. I gotta figure out how we're gonna do it, audio wise, video wise, et cetera, on down the line. So I am spending all of my time in this place, giving a lot of energy into making these things work and it was literally draining me. But my one thing that kept me going was it didn't matter that I had to do Sunday service and be there at seven in the morning. By the time we get to seven at night, I'm carrying equipment now from the church to the open mic so we can have wireless. So I got a bag with two wireless things, um, receivers in my hand, microphones, all types of stuff I'm bringing there. And I do the sound there and all of this. Got to be back at work on Monday, early in the morning. Yet I stay there, don't get home till two and love it and enjoy it. It, it feeds me. And now that all of this has happened, I've gone right back to that same space now where it's like the dojo, making beats, rhyming, putting a lot of stuff together for people. And it's like, I, I, I honestly have been put back to where I should have been the whole time. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I feel like, like the Riverside, I was getting paid. I loved it, but it was taking away all of my energy. So the one thing that I, I the point I'm trying to get to is EO Dub, I, I, it reciprocates the energy I put into it. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not always in full. Like the minute I give this energy, I get it back. But at some point in time, I get what I give and put into it. Whereas these other jobs that I've been doing for the longest, you give a lot, you put in a lot, but what you get back is like $35 an hour. You know what I mean? There's no extra love in it. There's no thank you so much for what you did. And I did have a few of those moments with the Dalai Lama of one is one of them, which was beautiful. And, um, you know, you, you feel it, but that's a spiritual thing. And that's why I feel that. So for EOW to me is more spiritual, like the whole working realm does nothing for my spirit at all. And it's really just draining me. You know what I'm saying? It was the conclusion I came to after all of these years of doing stuff and not really getting what you give and put into it. People Mm -hmm. are like, fire you in a second. Like, it's like I said, so I've got people that I no longer deal with, but I'm like, yo, I'm not going to look at the one thing that might have torn apart our relationship to the point where we're not talking. I'm going to look at everything you did for me that was good and just leave it at that. So I got to ask you a question. Can we expand more on the Dalai Lama? Like, Oh, yes. Okay. So threw that in and we're like, yeah, that's enough. (laughs) And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. I didn't want to cut you off, but I'm like, that's kind of like you met the Dalai Lama. Yes, at the church. So the Dalai Lama um, used to come through to the church and use our space uh, every year. So this is in the summertime. And the first year that we did it, uh, there was a little bit of problem with the microphones, but I fixed it in the middle of what was going on. And the people that he came with acknowledged it. So when he came the next year, they actually introduced me to him and all of this. And even though we couldn't communicate language-wise, the, there were people there that translated, and it was mad cool. Like he gave me a blessing, and all of that, which I think is is really super amazing. Um, and uh, the people that he works with, right? The following year we come, and there's mad extra stuff that we got to do. And I'm telling the guy, I'm like, listen, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. We got a week. Like, I'll make sure that this is up. I'll make sure that this works. And he was like, thank you. And he literally comes up to me and he's like, yo, like you've you've made me feel so at ease and gave given me less stress right now. He was like, is there anything like I could do for you? And I'm like, nah, dude, like this is my job. This is what I do. And you're one of the people I don't mind doing it for because I feel your energy and you're doing a great thing, Dalai Lama, et cetera. So he goes through everything and we do the, the thing, the, the actual um, event, no problems, everything goes smooth. He comes up to me, balled up fist, like give me a pound, boom, puts a hundred dollars in my hand. And I'm like, dude, like, he's like, no, 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 no. You can't take it, you can't give it back. I, I put my hands behind my back. Like, dude, you earned it. Like, I appreciate you, all of this, but they were giving out these items, a scarf, right? That the Dalai Lama had previously blessed. And that, I wanted one of them, but they had run out. You know what I mean? There were so many people that came that they didn't have anymore. Yo, and this dude comes up to me later on and he gives me one. Like I put one to the side just for you because I knew you would want this item, et cetera, et cetera. I still have it too. So, um, 
that's what I mean. Like there was some reciprocation there. You know what I'm saying? And Ooh, and that's like, you know that's there's amazing. so many interesting things about your story, right? Because <clears throat> like something I'm realizing is you're not like a huge attention whore. That's the best way to put it. Like you're mm-hmm. really just like, yeah, I do my job. I do what I gotta do. I'm just about the energy. I'm about the positive vibes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what I noticed is in all of your stories, there's an element of you contributing to whatever it is. Even in this Dalai Lama story, you showed that you could solve a problem for him, right? It's like you you were able to show value. You didn't ask for anything. It was maybe maybe the circumstances just allowed for it to happen naturally. But at the end of the day, you also weren't like probably cocky about it. You also probably weren't like give me something special or show about yep. about it. If I remember from your last um, conversation with me, it's uh, treat celebrities like they're humans, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Which uh, is great advice in my life. I I would imagine if I'm gonna try to get celebrities up on this channel, treat them like they're all humans, right? Like, yeah. which is really cool. Um, but you just went through and did it. But like every part of your story, you're like, yo, let me go into this, uh, this place where the church has wireless mics. And uh, let me make sure that these mics come back to the end of the week. And there's that loyalty to it, right? Like, like when we think about end of the week, everybody thinks about Nunzio today, right? Like, and that, yeah, that... The, the word that I get from everybody is selfless. They're like, yo, you're selfless. Like, you don't really think about what you're doing, you're just trying to uh, accommodate and make stuff happen. And you I know, that that's ooh. me to a T. I would like to include the fact that um, there's just side, right? Like as a as a guy that's been there throughout the years, right in the in the crowd, on the stage sometimes, right? Um, the kings, the three kings, are this like mythical. Uh, host, right? Nunzio was the guy that made sure that that audio was right. When the three kings fell back from hosting, Nunzio didn't fall back from doing audio. So Nunzio has ridden throughout every era. He's been there every Sunday night making sure Every MC that graces the mic in New York City's end of the week sounds right. You know what I mean? Like, throughout all 20 years. Like, there has never been a point where Nunzio was like, okay, well, same as with the Three Kings, I'm going to pass the baton of the engineer to, to um, you know, and Nunzio has taught other engineers how to engineer. You know, Jess James, the, the other Liddy bro, one of the other Liddy bros, you know, he's an, an amazing producer incredible engineer he'll tell you himself the person that taught him a majority of what he knows in the engineering world is nunzio you know what i mean but it's not like at some point just took over that engineer spot you know what i mean like nunzio has been there consistently always and forever the entire history of the dub that i i've been there for um just being the engineer guy set like making sure that the sound is right for everything and that everybody's documented and heard. And that's just, I think, a perfect example of just how selfless the man is. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that's true. Thank you. I know, I know <laughs> what you mean. But yes, that is definitely true. Uh, it's one of those things, dude. Uh, 
and, and I'm going to say this again. I believe I said this in the last one, right? The For me, it's credit, you know, accolades and all of that isn't the main thing. The main thing is whatever the goal is to achieve it. You know what I mean? The goal is to have a great night and make this like, uh, you know, get the video cameras and make this, this, uh, this event that we're doing, put it to tape, make sure that the vocals is good and the audio is great so we could use it later on. If that's the goal, that's what I'm aiming for. And I'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. For instance, we definitely had a um, one of our finals for the um, for the MC challenge, and we didn't have the cameras to record it, but we had cameras at the church where I was working, and I was like, "Yo, these are some nice cameras, high power." I straight took two of them, brought them there, brought some of the people I work with. Like, could you just come and record this for me? And they did it. And the beauty of that is the energy is so great at EOW that all of the people that I brought to go work there end up being people that come back and frequent, you know, end of the week. And it, it's like a calling card, honestly. It, it, one thing that's really great is when you can tell a person like, yo, do me a favor. Come to end of the week just one time and check it out and just let me know what you think. And then when you introduce them, they end up coming to you at some point. Yo, you the one that brought me to EO Dub. Like, I love you for that. And blah, blah, blah. And it becomes like a big thing. Like, I introduced you to one of the greatest things in your life. You know what I'm saying? So for me, all our accolades, that's cool. But the bigger goal is to make stuff like that happen. Even if it just influences one person to be greater or do something that they weren't going to do before, that's good enough for me. What's crazy about how you sound, you sound like the people at award speeches when they craft some bullshit to like through a PR rep, okay? But you don't sound like you're fake about it. You nah. just, Boy. you sound so perfect with it. Like literally what I'm thinking about you is first of all, you said you taught me something really interesting as an interviewer. Rappers are probably not the most interesting people I'm going to talk to. Mm. No, they're not. Now, mm. some rappers like... Are really interesting people like Flacco Bayo is the kind of guy that can like hold down a conversation for 12 hours and by himself so like in that regard it's totally good because it's constantly good ideas but what I'm realizing is the more producer to engineer people they kind of are smarter about how they approach people right they're smarter about all of it and I think that while some people call it selfless I call it genius no, like, that's just what it is. It's tactful. Like, it's like if you read a 48 Laws of Power or you go look at any of these things, end of the day, it's all going to aim down to whether it's genuine, sincere, whatever, whatever. If you provide value to the world and you do it from a place of givingness, it's going to have your reputation be positively impacted, even if it's like a karma principle or whatever, right? All of it is going to boil back down to the same thing. If you put out that energy into the world, you get back that good. It's effectively the golden rule. You lived the right. golden rule, dude. But, like, you lived it. But, like, look at your fucking life, okay? Like, how many people have the kind of impact you have in so many places to be able to say, I influenced DMX's career? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's, um, so... It, it, in order to be even a good engineer, first of all, 
you you have to be liked. Like people want to work with a person that they like. You know what I mean? For you to be in a room while they're being creative, they have to like you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What people get twisted is they feel like they have to talk themselves into being liked by people. But that's not the truth. The truth is your actions speak louder than words. So if you're the dude in the room, you know what I'm saying, that's not really talking, but the minute they're like, yo, could you do this for me and make this happen and blah, 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 and you make it happen and it's not a problem, people are like, oh, shit. Like, yo, this dude does his fucking job. And he's not, like, invading my space. But if I go outside of my space to talk to him, he'll talk to me. You know what I mean? And, yo, that's one of those keys. Like, that's a jewel right there that a lot of people, because I've been with the people that talk too much, and you end up not, like, yo, I don't want that person in my session. You know what I'm saying? That's what ends up happening. The person goes to the freaking manager of the place. Like, listen, whenever I come here, that dude, nah. Okay? Like, they talk too much. They just invaded my sales. They, they mess with my, scrambling my brain. You know what I'm saying? So, it's like, there's ways to prove yourself without it always being taught, but you should also be able to talk. See, now, one of the benefits of myself is, is the way I've grown. I know slang talk, and I know how to speak intellectually. You know what I'm saying? So we could go there. You want an intellectual conversation? I could do that. You want to talk big words? We could do that. Or, But what I prefer to do, and I, I only do this because of my teaching capabilities as far as engineering goes, I've always had to dumb it down so that people understand what's going on. Like one of the tricks to the United States is people make big money because of the vocabulary they've associated with a certain job. Like we could all do every job in the freaking universe, oh gosh, but the right. language gets switched so that they can exclude you from being in it. So when a person comes in and they're like, oh, could you hand me a VGA cable? And the person's like, what, a what? They're confused and they don't know what it is. But it's like, if you were like, yo, hand me the red, blue, green on video cables, they'd be like, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Dude, it's all I a completely trick. empathize with you. Yo, I'm so passionate on what you just said. I wrote a song called Jargon Nonsense and I want it to be like an mm. ongoing series because I work in web marketing. So like we use, when I got to work for the first time, um, I got into the room for my first group meeting when I got like my promotion and shit. And they were like, ARO this, CTA that, boom. And I'm like, bro, I don't know anything. And yo, you go into Google Analytics, if you don't understand what these words mean and you don't actually stop to like hover your mouse over and look it up. And even then it's useless. I actually took Google Analytics Academy and shit. So I've been for a long time, like uh, a believer that knowledge is gated the way that wealth is gated and the big gating mechanism is jargon and in the right. various fields of life so what you're saying to me like coincides perfectly because it's such a big facts of it and being able to code switch like that is cool but yo one more thing you kind of sound like being an engineer is like being a barber because everything you're saying about how to deal with people comes off a lot like what a barber describes but we also even have an engineer in the chat and he's like going off like you're preaching the truth it's the engineer who actually worked on the liddy bros album so Got like it. you're talking about a talented guy and he's like preaching i hate those blabber buffs it's fucking great man so like you're saying all this and it's going off there that's fucking cool i could yeah. tell you from a from a perspective of somebody who didn't come from the technical world of like 
you know, putting together these events. And that jargon is the way that they cut out the bullshit. That's how they know who knows what is popping and who is just there and doesn't know anything, you know? Mm. Even simple things down to an Edison. And I'm yeah. like, you mean an extension cord, bro? Yo, dude, that, yo, that's <laughs> one of the ones. Edison. Yo, it's people be like, yo, the Edison cable. And they'll even give you the freaking number, dash, whatever for a cable. And it's like, and basically an Edison cable is a three-prong cable that you plug into the wall. It's just a, it's just an extension. You know sometimes I mean? it's fifteen feet, sometimes yeah. it's twenty, sometimes it's fifty feet. Yep. But it's basically just an extension cord. But you're exactly. not gonna call it an extension cord, you know? Yeah, and you know, so like uh, I go like on the jobs I do uh, for events, they would be like, "Yo, pass me the IEC cable," and I'd be like, "Yo, why would you? It's a power cord, dude. It's all of these are the same. Why you call it an IEC? No, like it's the same like, stuff a on a computer." One. Everything on a computer is a fucking stupid name for some reason. And you got to, like, learn a whole... That's why people are afraid of fucking technology. It's because when you read the paragraph, it doesn't make sense. And you have to actually go and, like... It takes a while to learn the language to be able to just read the fucking interface, man. So, like, it's so interesting that, to me, like, we're talking about this because there's so much, like truth and the power of like language just being a mechanism of control and it just adds to the power of like why like reading and learning is so important because being able to drop the right language in the right moment and like you said being able to be useful in the right moment like to me that's how i got promoted i was able to like do things that they didn't know how to do you didn't know how to internet very well and i was more internet-y than them so like that actually worked in my favor. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot going on here. And in general, it's being useful that kind of makes you attractive to the world. It's not like, whether or not you like it, whether or not it's it's fair, it's just kind of what it is. And the thing is, is your story is so incredible because every step of it is laced with that. Even down to like, when you're in high school with Zoo, it's like, how can we be more useful with this situation? And then you were able to surround yourself with these people that are like, also useful and then you know i like the fact that your story is like yo i try to put myself in a place where i attract myself to more useful people because this is how growth and power happens and then sure money is nice like 35 dollars an hour sounds fucking blessed because you're talking us dollars and i'm in canada so that's a lot more dollars than my 35 dollars all i'm saying that's a number dude and you're like yeah. fuck that let's talk about community and grow i'm like Yo, Nunzio has got something figured out that the Dalai Lama wants to give him some cash. What the <laughs> fuck? Right? Like, is that not a nuts story? Like, when you think about, yo, the Dalai Lama hooked me up. <laughs> it's what man, the though. fuck? Dalai Lama can't do that. He would be in trouble. But yeah, I will say this, his too. His peoples. Yeah, here's, here's something funny, though, right? So you know the Dalai Lama, that's like a crazy job. What I didn't know is by the fourth year of doing this Dalai Lama thing is there's an heir to the Dalai Lama. Like the Dalai Lama doesn't have to be the Dalai Lama for his entire life, right? Mm -hmm. So the guy that I've been meeting as the Dalai Lama, he's, he's on his last couple of years and the new guy is coming in. So they did an event with both of them. And what I noticed was, and, and this is no disrespect to him, I was like, this is right. This is how it should be is you got the people coming to get the scarves that I was talking about. And yo, dead up, I'm I'm upstairs and I'm watching the camera angles so that they switch at the right time, 
right? And then one of the angles is off, but I see the Dalai Lama. This girl walks up. So the Dalai Lama isn't really paying attention. You know what I'm saying? He's just throwing, like the people come by and he gives them one of the, the scarves. Like, here you go, nods, does a little shake of uh, the shaker over them. Uh, it's sort of like holy water or something like that. But he does that, right? So now people are going by. He's doing it, he's doing it. He sees this one chick online and yo, no lie. He's like this the whole time. Like, here's your scarf. Not Now he's not even looking at the people. He sees this one woman and then she comes up and he's straight focused, smiles, like boom. And I was like, yo, my man, unfortunately, because he's the Dalai Lama, has not had buns. And I was like, he is there right now. Like, yo, one of these chicks, like, my day is coming. Like, I'm about to get some. So think about that, right? You do all of this righteous stuff your whole life. And now you get to the point where it's like, now for the first time, I can actually have sex with a woman and it not be like a problem. You know what I'm saying? And I yo, I know that's some weird thing to throw no, out there. No, 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 no. You gotta understand. Like, that's, that's, that's just a human being, you know what I mean? If there's one thing I say to people too, it's like, yo, the best thing you could do is be yourself. If you are yourself are an asshole, but that's you, then do it. Cause you're gonna find the people that fucks with you for being an asshole. You know what I'm saying? It's doing all this other fake stuff and not being yourself that ruins your life. Cause then you're just attracting people that you have no business attracting. So be yourself and you will attract the right people. There's one thing, you know, uh, you get bullied as a kid. I definitely had that happen to me. And, and this is what makes it interesting, like stay in yourself, right? So I got cats that bullied on me uh, in elementary school, right? And I just recently had put up a GoFundMe about, you know, uh, support in the studio and all of this stuff. And there's like four people from elementary school, two of which, well, one of which used to kind of bully up on me or want to fight me all the time. And they put money in my account. And then that same dude is hitting me up like, yo, hit this person up, hit this person up. Like, I'm telling you, they love you, man. They're going to give you something, dude. I'm telling you. And I'm just like, wow. Like, you know, that that's maturity. You know what I'm saying? That's what I was talking about. Don't think about the one thing or the two things a person did to you that made you be like, oh, I, I don't, I hate this person. But yeah, think about all the time knowledge stuff. nuggets. Because, yeah, there's some people that I didn't like back in the day who really fuck with me now, and it surprises me, right? Like, yeah. these are people that if you were to ask me six years ago, do I fuck with them? I'm like, mm, no. And I would have talked a lot of shit. And now I'm like, I don't know, apparently, because, yo, you don't see them for so long. And then, you know, I changed a lot in the last, like, six, seven years and shit, so they probably did too. But maybe they were paying attention to the way I changed or whatever. You know, I saw that happen, and it's like it's fucking and they weird. they changed too. That's the thing. When you Yo. go through your own rough ride, you start to recognize, like, damn, this person that I cut off really wasn't a bad person. Like, I chose the wrong people to hang with. You know what I'm saying? I've done it before in my life, too. But acknowledging it is, 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 is like, part of the process of healing. And it's going to lead you to better world. No, I feel that, man. I really do. I mean, even this whole interview process, right? Like, this is kind of done a lot for my brand but like it, it's crazy like even you you fuck dude i owe you my life <laughs> not like my nah, life, I do. Like, 
Let's see. This is what I'm saying. Like, like it's so big for me. This is you, right? These are the type of conversations you would have with people, right? Big facts. This is exactly it. You're being yourself and it's going to draw everything that you're looking for. It's when you're doing all the fake stuff that it's going to throw you out of whack. See, you, you yourself are putting yourself in alignment by doing this. But there was one other part of it that was because, you know, I used to be myself, but I was in, I was negative and I was not about community. I was about myself. So mm-hmm. I used to be like that, that kind of self-centered asshole guy that like you may not like in the studio as much, you know, like that. <laughs> But um, along the way, I got humbled. A lot of life experiences and shit. I'm also in my 30s now, so it's kind of hard to be a young. It's it's a little easier to be less arrogant as I get older, and you know, you're like, oh shit, I'm getting old now, and all that shit. <clears throat> but um, what I yeah, I mean, I hear everybody by the way, because I see Merkers in the comments saying that this is on me, but it's, it's not just all me, and that's why y'all are fucking with me. It's because I know that it's the combination of everybody, right? Like. Yo, Nunzio, you didn't have to come here and let me have some shit that Memphis fucking bleak retweeted, okay? Yeah, Do you know really how many cool points that shit? <laughs> but like, I was surprised because... too. Like, that's what's up. So, like, you did that. Honestly, I didn't know there was a Memphis bleak story coming. That was part of your shit. And it's like, fucking then I'm able to put that little screenshot, which added cool points to my, like, Montreal arsenal of moves. Because at the end of the day, everything I'm doing has Montreal attached to it in some way. So they're all like, oh, Holden's cooler and shit. And I'm like, I respect all that. But, yo, I look at Flacco Bale, who's over there, and I'm like, yo, he linked me up with this whole fucking opportunity in the first place. Sure, I did all sorts of stuff to get that. But at the end of the day, it's because of all of the different people in the journey that like allow me to be here for me it's like i have this list i almost keep and it's very long now and it's everybody ever that ever helped me for any amount little or big and i remember all of them because i'm that kind of guy like it's not because like i also remember all the bad stuff but i try to like now focus only on the good stuff because it's better for your soul and shit but like that's why i try to thank everyone because otherwise i could be that arrogant asshole it's like you have to remember like i think that it's it's like a community your whole story is laced with community like every every fucking element so it's it's like when i shifted my gear to montreal this montreal that uh, all of a sudden, Montreal was like, hey, he's speaking the right language now. I mean, that was just like, you know, it was like I had to shift my own balance. So as much as it's being true to yourself, I think the beautiful part of your story is the the more altruistic nature of it. And again, I don't really think it's purely altruistic. You, you're aware of what you want out of the situation. But it's about the equalness of giving and getting to the same degree and and putting yourself out there like you know what like now i have something to offer people so Mm -hmm. people are so it's not just like it's an exchange now and like i know i I put myself in a place where i could offer something to people but it still took the offering part to like make it a thing you know like it had to be with other people but then on the other hand i spent 10 months begging for reviews okay or interviews sorry not reviews 10 fucking months all of 2020 begging people i got like here and there a couple person came through and nobody did it and then a couple of y'all did it and now it's like i'm flooded i'm already booked till february i'm fucking nice. going with what the fuck dude this is nuts you're gonna, i can promise you when i said bad boy engineer nunzio it helped yeah i mean i'm sure but that's what i mean like if this was meant to happen though this is not an accident that you popped up 
on uh, on the open mic, did your thing, and and we hit it off. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, word, we need to do a song together. Like that's what's up. That's, and that's cool. Coming. You said that publicly because yeah. now I can talk about it. Because I, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like ah. it happened. It's happened. Yeah, fucking nuts the second he said that to me i'm like fuck what my city thinks this guy worked on bad boy and he said i'm cool enough to work with fuck everybody's opinion this guy heard a lot of my weird shit <laughs> Yo, dude let me tell you there's a there's room for everybody as long as you do it right you know what i'm saying and that's really what it's about and i if it's one thing i can do i can definitely elevate people's i can elevate yeah, man, I don't know, man. It's just like, it's a cool thing. I thought I had, what other stories and stuff do you have? Because you could literally talk about anything and it's going to educate yeah, people. Yeah, I got tons of stories. So let's see. Uh, did I tell you about the video camera in Spain before? No. Okay, so we do the tour in Spain. And this this is where it comes into uh, to genius level problem solving, right? So even as a kid, if something broke, in the house, like electronics wise or anything, I'll be the first person to open it up to look inside to see if I could see a problem, first of all. You know what I mean? So we go on this tour in Spain. It's the second MC challenge that we're about to do out here. They bought an expensive camera and rented it from France. So our France counterparts had come through and they were going to film everything. And I walk into, I took a shower, did everything, came into the club where we're about to do our second challenge and the camera's just sitting on the bar. So I walk up to them, I'm like, yo, why is the camera on the bar? They were like, oh, it's not working. I was like, what do you mean it's not working? They were like, it's working, but we can't see the little view screen to see what we're filming when we're filming it. And I was like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, like, so I, yo, I straight up grabbed the camera, took it in my room. Where the screen is, I started using this screwdriver. I always had the little screwdriver kit on me because of my glasses. So I was like, boom, I'm going to undo this. Boom. Took it off. Now, ironically enough, when I was on the airplane, I took the headphones, kept them in my pocket. Right? So when we get there, I'm like, open it up, and I can see that the cable is frayed. There's two wires that are frayed because they had actually broken it before, but they... I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, so Nunzio did clip out there because sometimes it clips out and then it like rebuffs. Yeah, and yeah, it kind of pops back in. Here we go. with us? Okay, so... Okay. Had, uh, All right, so I opened it up and um, they had crazy glued it before and all of the crazy glue had leaked inside. So when they were turning it, instead of the cables being free, they were getting twisted every time they moved it. So basically they were free. So I was like, okay, I know that I could take like some witch hazel or hydrogen peroxide, probably get rid of a lot of this um, extra crazy glue stuff. So did that. And then I took those headphones from the freaking, from the airplane. And I'm like, I'm gonna take this, take the cable, cut it and take, you know, the rubber that's around it. And I'm gonna use this cable and bridge the, uh, the two cables that are now broken and see if it works. And yo, sure enough, I did that. Boom, plug the thing in, you can see it on the screen. And I was like, yo, whatever you do, don't crazy glue again. 
Like I got some electrical tape, we'll do that for now. Before you bring it back, you could do whatever you want. But until we get there, leave this shit alone. And we were able to do it. But that's that I'm determined to make it happen mentality. I appreciate that. It's a very practical thing. Like I'm not very good at physical stuff, but put me in front of a computer and basically that's what the, the current reality of life seems to be. I think you have, yeah. oh, and there you are. Uh, so I just think it's incredible though. Like that, I'm like, I get kind of like, not jealous, but like in awe of people who are really good at the physical kind of stuff. Like when my elliptical broke and I had to like figure out how to deal with that dude, it was like a panic attack. It was like, oh my fucking God, what am I gonna, what if I break it and shit? You're like, nah, I got these headphones. I got this thing here, slice it on up, boom, 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 boom. And it's so cool, like, cause that's like an engineer mind, right? Like that's nuts, that's like fucking so cool. <clears throat> that's what you're supposed to do. Like if you don't accept defeat, you can usually overcome it. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, yeah, I might not fix it, but I'm damn sure gonna open this up and try. Like there's no way we could just be here and not film for the rest of the time we're out here. We're only on the second one out of five MC challenges, like this can't happen. Mm. You know what I mean? And sure enough, you know, you gotta figure like, there's gotta be some sort of uh, spirits or whatever attached to EO Dub to make stuff happen. And sometimes the spirit will enter you, you know what I mean, to uh, remedy things. And you just gotta recognize it when it happens. You know what I mean? I just think in a lot of ways, it's just your attitude is extremely consistent. Yeah, but I got, you know, I think uh, using this attitude along the way gives you more power. It's just like uh, if you look at Dragon Ball Z and being a Super Saiyan, yes. like you take lumps. But after you take the lumps, you come back stronger. You know what I'm saying? And I literally used to think like, yo, maybe I'm Super Saiyan. Because I used to play football and dudes would ran at you and hit you dumb hard. And you'd be like, oh, my side. But then I get back up and I'd be like, yo. I feel stronger now. Like I'm, I'm running into the end zone now, like next time, yo. So it's like you get beat up and you can feel it later on or you could deflect it, keep going, let it, let it hit you later. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But you can accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish. You know, it's tough, but it, it definitely takes a team. That's one thing I could tell you. Because there's definitely, I don't want to do everything, even though in most cases I can probably do everything but it's too much taxing you know you need help along the way the other thing about trying to do everything like so let's say this interview thing in my life really picked the fuck up i haven't really had a chance to work on music in a month because i've been trying to fucking get all my ducks in a row thankfully a lot of the basic logistics are now kind of almost in order and you know i'm looking at a couple of free hours but the truth is like this is really cool and unfortunately i can't like do this and necessarily go ahead and put like 10 hours into like you know music like i can still freestyle here and there but i'm talking like straight up sit down with the beat or write a song so yeah. like you know like that takes time and energy and i want to fucking jump at it i really do but you right. know like energy comes in so the more that's where like delegation comes in and you know being able to work yeah. with people so that like you don't have to actually do every little thing by yourself you know and then all of a sudden you can get that creative energy to come back into your life again and is kind of another way to like uh, at least what i would at least how i've seen this world kind of play out because y'all it's a lot to try to manage everything like i i don't know and then if you look at most successful operations in life it's always a team 
It's, it's always a team. Look mm-hmm. at businesses. Businesses aren't one person. It's teams. And businesses yeah. make money. So, like, it's just kind of what it is. Like, yeah. if you want if you want to end up getting to a point where your shit works, it kind of requires, a, you know, a village and shit. All the, I don't know what the right yeah. idiot this is. This is what it is. I, one of the things we used to do sometimes is we would get together as EO Dub and be like, yo, who does a better show than we do? You know what I'm saying? Who's the freaking really the best at this, yo? Like, we do this every week. We practice it. And, yo, you cannot say that we're whack. We go to places, people don't even know us. And we kill it, and they know us now. You know what I'm saying? So it, 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 it's a mentality, too. As humble as I am, I would be like, yo, damn, you're right. You know, we are the best. Like, if I saw this on my own without knowing it, I would be like, yo, this is great, and look into it. So, you know, it, it, ego doesn't have to play a part, but you got to know when you're doing the right thing and when you're on fire. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Shout out a Line Fack for uh, following. See, you're you, you're running your like hot game, and we get a follower just like that. That that's amazing shit. No, but like I feel you though. I really do feel you. Like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fucking love in like the idea of like understanding your role. Like, you know basics, right? So yes. basics really inspired me. Um, earlier this year, he uh, <clears throat> but uh oh, I see what you're saying. That's a troll name. It's I wanna fuck. <laughs> that's a fucking great name. Whatever, they're probably going to unfollow, but I don't really care. That was a fun moment. This is the internet, I guess. I don't know. It is what it is. Um, but Basics came at me with this crazy theory that really got me inspired in a game. And, you know, at first he's all like, end of the week, this, that, whatever. So he puts that in my head. So I start, like, paying attention. I do a Zoom or whatever. And then all of a sudden, um, we're on this other call. It's completely unrelated. But he's talking about this mascot theory where, like, everybody trying to beat a Drake, you know? And mm. there's a Drake... But not everybody can be the Drake. Right. There's only gonna be the Drake. And sometimes you gotta like recognize like you're not gonna be the Drake. I'm like, that was like, you know, cause it's just kind of what it is. Like maybe I can't be the Drake, but yo, there's totally a lot of other big old fucking lanes open that I could go jump on and be a guy in, you know what I'm saying? Like whole lot of other stuff. And then at the end of the day, maybe you go past that and you can still go and do what you wanted to do in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. like, like I'm not dumb with music. <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah. for like four weeks I couldn't write. Okay, cool. But look at that. Now I'm talking to Nunzio. This is like fucking more inspiring for my soul than like a lot of other things. And at the end of the day, you got to live a little sometimes to make some great art and shit and all that good stuff. But just like, it's like a privilege, you know, just yeah. to like. Finding but, uh, yourself takes time though. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like. Is the, you got to understand, too, like, uh, one of the things that really bothers me about this country and, and, and a lot of countries, actually, is the stuff that they subliminally, like, put into your mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, the television, the way it is now, even the music, it's really geared towards leading you into a direction that you probably shouldn't be going. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's okay to think about it, but when it's the constant theme of stuff for instance like t- popping pills that's big like you know what i mean to the point uh, there was a hbo show that i was watching for a little while and then i was like yo like these are high school kids like freshmen popping pills and doing wild crazy stuff like and i was like taking it back like is this like really what's going on 
And then I speak with Zoo and he's like, yeah, my daughter is like, yeah, there's a lot of people that do this. Like there's dudes, there's girls that have had sex with like 30 people in the school. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's crazy. But then I'm like, yo, that music, if you allow it to, could lead you into this direction because that's what they're inputting into your mind. So, you know, it's, it's Man, being strong that. enough to not follow what everybody else is doing or what everyone else is saying. And I, and, but I that's just hard to like, add to what you're saying. I smoke a lot of weed, but I'm not going to lie to you. Part of why I smoke a lot of weed is because a lot of the rappers I like smoke a lot of weed and they keep <laughs> talking about it. Now, okay, I, let me tell you why I smoke weed, right? So, like, I got friends, and this is crazy, like, friends from college. I didn't smoke until I was 20 years old. But I got friends in college that smoke, had friends in high school that smoke. Never would complain about it or bother them about it. Y'all go do it, they just wouldn't do it around me. You know what I mean? They'll go to another section, smoke, come back, and we good. You know what I mean? But then um, one day I'm like, yo, I want to try this. You know what I'm saying? And the reason I wanted to try it was Cypress Hill. So <laughs> me and Zoo, like no lie, my boy, his pops has a, a record store and Zoo went to it. I couldn't make it that day, but Zoo went. And we in the back of the Source magazine, we saw the Cypress Hill signal, uh, um, symbol, right? But we didn't know what it was. And when he went in there, this dude laid out all of the new stuff that came in and Zoo saw a cassette that had the Cypress Hill thing on it. And he was like, yo, I remember seeing this in the back of the source. He's like, yo, I'm going to grab this one. He grabbed a couple of things. But, yo, we listened to that and his whip driving around, and we were freaking blown away. I was like, mm -hmm. yo, do they rap this way because they smoke weed, yo? Like, is that what this is? Like, <laughs> you know, because I don't know. But I was literally like, yo this shit is fire. Like, I don't even smoke weed. And this shit is like, stoned is the way of the walk. I was like, oh! <laughs> Yo, Pigs was the first thing that came on. And as soon as we heard it, we rewound this shit before we even listened to anything else. Like, yeah, Pigs, Cops, yo! Tough. So, it literally influenced me to the point where I was like, yo, I want to try this. I want to see what they're talking about. I also didn't start till I was like 20, 21. I had moved out. Like, I mean, I tried it once with a girl when I was like 17, but that was different because there was a girl there. But like, I didn't really try it, try it until like I was 20. And then I got into it heavy. But a lot of it was like, I swear, like, I mean, I grew up in like the 2003-ish era. Like even 50 Cent was faking being high for that record. He's gone on wax and said that, but he faked <laughs> being high on Get Rich or Die Trying for that. And it's a weed banger. Like, it's actually a surprisingly good song for a guy who isn't really that into it. So yeah. I just thought, so I just thought it was like fucking, uh, it's nifty because when you're talking about the influence of pills now, it's a completely different world. Yeah, I, I did it. I've never fucked with painkillers. So, like, to me, I don't really get it. Like, one time I accidentally did too much cough syrup or codeine because I, I I swear I did tablespoons instead of teaspoons. I just, I did it wrong. Oh, wow. I got fucked up and I was recording a podcast. It's wavy. It's still on the internet. It's an Easter egg for anyone that finds <laughs> it. Wavy. But I actually, what's crazy though, is I completely fucking understood trap music a little bit better. I, we, it was like future and shit, like actually uh -oh. did hit me a little bit different because I, I was like, 
Oh. Oh. Like, it was the only time in my life. I'm not really into that kind of a vibe. I'm not down for it. But it's also like, yo, the Black Eyed Peas and Drake sound great when you're drunk. Okay? When you're mm-hmm. drunk, Drake's fucking amazing. Okay? Like, I don't care what you're saying. <laughs> I mean... If you're like mad stoned in your bedroom in a pensive mood, like what the fuck are you getting out of they know, they know, they know. But you in the club with everybody else singing that shit? Man, those are memories. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I also had like, the, you know, I feel like there's a lot of correlations between it, but there's this idea between pushing the drugs versus having stuff that's good for being high. Like, if right. like it's one thing for consent, because you're like an adult when you get into weed. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, you're an adult in sorry, so, an adult in Canada, not in your country. <laughs> so the problem to me really is is the audience that you're hitting. It's not mm. like a grown people who can make these uh, decisions uh, are or not be influenced by what you're telling them. You know what I'm saying? But you're you're hitting the audience of people that consumers that are uh, are just aging and growing and just learning about life. And, and they're getting influenced because everybody keeps saying to do it. You mm. understand? And what I don't think other people understand is this is why the government ain't coming down on hip hop no more. Cause they was coming down on it before. You know what I mean? When we got to 2000, they was like, nah, we trying to get this shit off the streets. We don't want motherfuckers listening to public enemy and, you know, uh, and, and actually, you know, learning something and possibly rebelling against us and blah, blah, blah. But once the music got to this point, we didn't talk about a lot. You don't hear them knocking it down. Like they got that, that WAP song is uh, is mad popular. A few people complained about it, but it's still getting played. Ain't nobody stopping it from being played. But to me, that's a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like a part of life. It just shouldn't be the main fucking single on your record. There should be something else as the main single, and you get to that eventually when you listen to the record. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little too much, because uh, I definitely, Perks, I've had one, one, before, because I had a back injury, and I was like, I'm never taking this again. Mm-hmm. The freaking, the way it had me feeling, I was like, yo, I could barely make it to the freaking bed. Like, I'm slumped up in the freaking chair, trying to do some shit on the internet, and it was like, yo, no, nah, I can't do this. And I never did it again. And I never will. You know what I'm saying? But other people do it and they're like, yo. There's like so a, crazy. But there's like a whole generation of kids that were like three and four. Uh, they're probably a couple years older now that were just sitting there in cars listening to Percocet. Molly mm-hmm. Percocet. Because I never got censored, right? And now, right. like, I'm not a parent, okay? So, like, sometimes, like, I'm, I'm just trying to, but I also, like, think about being a parent maybe in the future i don't know if she's listening maybe it happens whatever it is um but like let's say that happens right and like i don't know i remember every song from when i'm a kid i remember <laughs> short dick man it's an awful song but i remember it right like it's it's a weird song teeny weeny eeny like why do i know this shit i was like a yeah. fucking kid right like that's a right. weird song to hear on the radio like i'm not saying 
it was late night and my dad was there. It was more why was I in the car? More, but I remember this shit. But this right. this future song is like broad daylight. Like parents just playing it. Like you'll hear it in the grocery store level of fucking accessibility now. And then it's weird. And if you really want to go down conspiracy theory land, there's ideas that like there's this weird idea pushing American kids into into pill addiction on all sorts of levels. Really like. Like those little fucking YouTube conspiracies where like the kids running the pills were clipped in out of nowhere. I don't have proof for any of this stuff, but there's so many weirdnesses about pushing pills on kids. And it's also just happens to be a multi-billion dollar industry. Right. Right. Just so happens to be one. Right. So did you ever hear you, you know, NWA? Did you ever hear fuck the police on on, uh, the radio? No, no, but I was also born in '87. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so it's like I could hear that record maybe on an underground station, right, late at night, but you wouldn't hear that on the radio. Mm. And it's because of the content; like you can't just put that idea out there. But then I'm like, but, but then how are you playing this song, telling people to pop pills? And then I'll hear two or three of them in a row. Or better yet, they'll play it in the first hour of listening to the radio, and then they'll play it twice in the second hour of the same freaking DJ. You know what I'm saying? So it's like uh, repetitive, one. But two, you got to look at it. In the scheme of things, the, the pharmacies, pharmaceuticals are big business. They make a lot of money. So they have a lot invested, I'm sure, into the country. And then you're not going to be like, yo, I'm not going to shun it because it's making these people money and they pretty much run shit. You know what I'm saying? So there's there's a whole level to it um, politically as well as socially. But it's like I, I always say people like recognize what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Like this is not a song that your kids should be listening to. You know what I mean? There's other songs. Yeah. There's plenty of other ones. Even if you play them the instrumental, that's fine. But don't go there. You know what I'm saying? It's just like a weird normalization. And it's also like, like it's really widespread, the issue. Like, again, it's not something I personally have, like, gone a lot with. I never just moved in those circles. But my brother moved in those circles for a minute. The whole rave scene. And, the, you know, it gets desperate. Like, it gets really desperate is what I learned about that world. And it kind of almost kept me away from it. Like, I mean, certainly I've done a couple of MDMAs here and there, but mostly that was about sexy time with a girl than about partying, mm-hmm. which is a very different experience. And I'm just saying yeah. it is what it is. I encourage the sexy time controlled version. I don't know if I'm encouraging kids to go do pills at a rave. Um, but like... I don't know, man. It's like, it scares me a little bit. Cause like, yo, weed is interesting. Cause it turned out it was medicine. Hey, look at that. Like a lot of people actually, but like a lot of this other shit is just kind of out there and the government's fucking weird about how they treat drugs. Like really fucking weird. Even like your Canada's just as fucking weird. It's all sorts of strange shit. Like I know I've seen magic mushroom ads on Facebook. I think they're going to try and legalize it soon or something. I don't know. Wow. I don't know, but like I've seen ads for it, like pushed me on Facebook and I'm like, this is fucking weird, right? Like, why are there magic? Why is Facebook letting them sell me magic mushrooms? But I also know a lot of people who microdose on that shit. And And I'm not like, I'm not saying right or wrongs or anything. Like, listen, I've done some mushrooms too. That's some ethereal shit. It's totally like the 
funnily enough, from what my research into that is, because I had to do it for a paper one time, it's like the healthiest drug you could take is mushrooms if you get the good ones, you know, the psychosyllabin mm. ones, because it's like food poisoning and then it's out your system and it has no real long lasting harmful effects. So in theory, if you're in a controlled setting with a supervisor that's going to make sure you don't trip balls too proud, it's a right. good time. Um, but again, it's all about like fucking things. Oh, apparently legal shrooms is coming. Microdosing is like whatever. So like, but it's all about education. And I think that's the big issue, at least where I think Canada has a teensy advantage is our education system's a little more <laughs> open-minded. Like, yo, man, I, I did this thing on sex ed across the States because I was fascinated by how like you can almost go like district to district and have different regulations about what's right. allowed to be taught. So if like kids learn about condoms over there and his cousin's not learning about condoms over there, right? Like that is some mixed ass fucking information that's being going around. Right. You know what's crazy? The CDC doesn't actually have any stats on condom issues since 2000 because of some religious lobbying. So there's not even publicly available information in the America right now about the effectiveness of condoms. Nah, that's because they started making the condoms and they don't work. They break easily. That's not. I'm just letting you know. The pyramid used to have a freaking huge container of them, and I'd be like, "Yo, NYC condoms." Like now, them things are terrible. I'll let you know. Don't ever, don't ever use it. Put it that way. But I will say this: the see now the mushrooms though is natural. Like that's from Earth, so that's different. The, mm. I, I mean, man-made pharmaceuticals are the thing that I'm talking about. Any, yeah, big, yeah, anything that people are uh, combining things together to make, and it's not like from the Earth or natural. Not with it. Like, you could take me to the woods and the rainforest, and a dude that's that's got his balls out, you know what I'm saying, with a little feather covering it from the, an indigenous person could come and be like, yo, take this and blah, blah, and I might try it as long as it's natural. But I ain't going to a pharmacist and getting anything from them to help cure anything that I've got. All these pharmaceuticals do is hurt people, man. And it alters your freaking mind. And, and, uh, and I'm not with that. Mm. Honestly, I can see that, man. Uh, so, like, I got some, like, you know, I once upon a time tried antidepressants for about six months, and uh, it was the it was the worst. It was the it was the worst six months of my life, and maybe I I didn't feel as like sad or whatever, you know. But like, you're 21. What I learned is most people are just kind of sad at 21. It's just actually yeah. kind of normal, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> and then. So like I just numbed myself for like I, I wasted six months of life and the consequences of that were like disastrous. It was disastrous what ended up happening because I did that, and then it took even longer to get back to normal because you got to flush these drugs out your fucking systems and what is normal, you know? <laughs> like you didn't learn at this pivotal point in time because I got numbed up. Now weed, I smoke a lot of pot and I don't do it to get high. I don't really get that high not the amount that i smoke right like come on it's not it's not how it works right my tolerance is insane but what it does do is it lets me kind of meditate more in a sense even like on the spot i'm able to like filter and go and prioritize a little bit better so like to me it's really like a, a medicine thing and so it's kind of cool that it's getting legalized and shit now is it legal in new york is it being legalized what's the legal status up by you or you're in jersey you're in yeah. jersey you're not even in new york Exactly. It's decriminalized, but it's still illegal. 
and um, they still have it like um, passed the laws to make it uh, a sellable product. The only thing you could sell in New York City is CBD. Mm. And what's what's the situation in New Jersey? I forgot. New for a Jersey second. is legalized, right? Um, yeah. You probably have about a year or so to go before it's like really in effect. But you could uh, walk around. I think with up to six ounces, it might be seven, and not be uh, and get in trouble for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it. I mean, honestly, dude, like every. Every United States country is going to do this just because the places where it is legalized, they are making billions of dollars per year. You yep. know what I mean? And you cannot front on that. And it and seriously, it doesn't harm anybody. Like nah. if you overdose on weed, you pass out. You, you go to the toilet bowl and you keep throwing up. Yeah, you know I mean, like it's like the worst. No, nah, nah. so you know, as Merker in, in the in the chat was just saying, because you you said six seven ounces. You know what's nuts about uh Quebec or Canada? Thirty grams at a fucking time per person. Do you know how like how? Okay, so literally, what we have to do to go to the store properly, because sometimes they don't always have the good shit, and it's all government controlled. So like, listen, you have your boys. But, like, you also want to have on wax that you're buying legal weed. It's just right. a smart thing to do, right? Now that we know we're allowed to come to your country and nobody gives a shit about that, because at first it was a little scary, and they're like, the states might block you if you buy pot, and then it never happens. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it is what it is. So uh, you have to go in, buy your 30, like, like walk out, go back in, buy another 30 and everybody just does this because you know, I bought a three five a hash a three five a hash counts as 14 grams of my 30 and I'm like oh what and then it's like it's just uh, like whatever but like now there's lines and it's just fucking annoying because then you gotta go all the way back to it. it's like fuck man so it's it's a weird it's a weird rule to have a 30 gram but basically the government does not want competition here there is actually a squad of police officers dedicated to fighting black market people it's not like huge and it's really not about whatever they want to on wax they can put me in jail for buying black market weed they're not probably going to do it but wow. they're trying to say don't buy black market it's actually kind of like crazy some of the laws how they manifested because i was very comfortable with the old nobody gives a fuck system mm. now there's like a thousand dollar ticket in this part of Montreal because this part of the city said no weed. So literally where I, my day job is when I would smoke a joint walking back to the bus, I'm literally risking a fucking thousand dollar ticket or more. And I'm like, yeah, this is stupid right. before nobody cared. But now like the cities were able to be like, yo, we can make some serious bank off this shit. They passed this law where like I could get evicted because they were able to change my lease over weed shits. I can't even smoke weed on my balcony legally. I pay my rent on time, so they don't really care about me. But in theory, I think it's a gentrification move. I think that this law came into effect to get people who smoke pot in certain neighborhoods out of their fucking things like that, because there's no way about it. They could change your lease and then like that fucking evict you. Yeah. I don't think I'm the right demographic of who they're going for, to be honest with you, but I yeah. definitely think that's who did it, because it's the Landlord Association that made that shit a real fucking thing. I'm like, yo, there's so fucking weird ass shit that goes into this all, man. Um, Dude, it's all just in case I want to. That's what those laws are. Mm. In case I want to throw you in jail, in case 
I want to get you out of my apartment building. That's what these these things are. They're just little things that they're like, oh, but I could use this to get rid of you. You know what I'm saying? And like you said, they're aiming for a certain demographic. That's for sure. But these are, you know, these are like foolish laws that they use to get you. Because I'm going to tell you, I got busted with uh, 3.5 on me, right, and in Jersey. And I went to the to the court appearance, and I go there, and they're like, okay, so you had 3.5 on you? I was like, yes, I did. Like, guilty. You know, didn't get a lawyer or none of that. You know, the chick hits the joint, $1,000. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean $1,000? Like, it's three and a half grams. The shit costs $50 at most. Like, why am I getting charged $1,000? But then... You know, I was getting notices, letters from uh, lawyers as soon as I got busted. Like, and I'm like, first of all, I don't know no lawyers to be sending me this type of information. But once you get busted, it automatically gets sent to them. And then I actually opened a few of the letters after. And you know what the fee was to get them to get me off? $1,000. So you see, like... I could have a record and pay them $1,000 and still have weed on my record. Or I could go to a lawyer, give them $1,000 and have it wiped from my record and not pay anything. But I just paid you $1,000. So that that's how it works. You know, the, the, at least out here, the judicial system is on some, well, you could get off, but the only way that's going to happen is by you paying a lawyer. And guess what? All of the lawyers that get paid are in their system because as soon as you get busted, those lawyers are sending you letters to your address because once you get busted, they got all your info attached to it, to the offense. That's that's nuts. Like, I didn't know any of that. Like, I mean, it makes Mm -hmm. sense because I know parallel things. Right. But, like, I didn't know any of that. And I'm like, wow, that's, like, fucking big. There's so much exploitation in play with that shit, right? You know what I mean? Especially when you look... There's Our... a bigger system to the system that we're living under. And if people that's getting theirs out of it, believe me. So, you know, it's a little crazy. But but um unfortunately I gotta get out of here. No <laughs> yeah, we did three hours and twenty minutes and stuff. Oh, that's funny. But well, any other questions that. that you got before I go? You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I think we're cool. I mean in the future we can always talk again. You're always welcome to come back. I mean, we can uh, stretch it, but we can totally. I'd like get... to take a moment. I'd like mm-hmm. to take a moment, real quick. You know what I mean? To like say to anybody who's in the chat on, on, on anybody who's watching on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, wherever you might be watching. If you're still watching and you enjoyed everything that you heard and you appreciate all the nuggets that you got from Nunzio, um, please hit up his Instagram. Right, and there's a GoFundMe going for the uh, the new yeah. dojo, like we talked about, and we'd appreciate any and every donation that anybody can give. Everything is appreciated from a penny to the dollars. We appreciate everybody who can donate, uh, and if you can't, just make sure that you hit up his channel and start um, play, streaming uh, Big Zoo's new album. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, you know, those streams can go up and there's money coming in through there. 
So yeah, I linked yeah, both of those you. in the chat though. So hey. at least for the Twitch people on my side, it's right there. Um, but yo, Nunzio, thank you again, man. It's a big pleasure to have you here. Thank you all who are watching. It's pretty fucking amazing to see all of these different people here every single time. They, like just seeing a consistent group of people coming back again. Cause yo, it's a bigger, it's a bigger number of a core audience. We can say on my side of things than there was before, which is just fucking cool. You know, like it's just yeah. fucking like amazing. And, uh, I think you're a huge part of that, like happening, you know, like just a huge part of it. So thank you for that. Pleasure. Anybody that's watching this in the future on YouTube when we get the edited copy out, blah, 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 down the line, uh, definitely check out the links in the description for all that good stuff. Um, if you happen to see a clip of this in the future, I mean, not, you're not going to see the outro on the clip. But if you do, whatever, uh, <laughs> link in description. Uh, check all that shit out. Um, also, just special thanks to the patrons. Ismail Gadam, C. Chris Powder, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black, Rick, and Linda Williams, uh, and Scribble. They're dope. Support what we do. And if you also want to support what we do, if you're on Twitch, there's a little subscribe button. And for everybody else, patreon.com slash behind that suit. That's what it is. Just a little pluggy plug. And uh, at the end of the day, I just want to say thank you again for being here, Nunzio. It was fucking amazing. Honestly, your stories are riveting. Always a pleasure, dude. Uh, and let, let me just spell my name because people always do it wrong. It's N O N E Z E O. Yeah, it's right. Uh, it's, it's cool, man. Definitely going to do that. Oh, why am I on the camera? You should be on camera. Anyway, uh, definitely appreciate you, Stills, man. Live long and prosper, everybody. I totally appreciate that. And I know you got to go, Nunzio. You can have yourself a good day. And thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah, that's real cool. Good so, evening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good evening. You too.